want to thank everyone for listening to the Crown Refs podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials, and we would like to welcome you to our best of 2023 edition, as we are super grateful to just have wrapped up our fifth year podcasting and would not have ever gotten this far if it wasn't for this amazing support of this officiating community. Your continued support has been a constant fuel and inspiration for us to keep creating content that is training, developing, mentoring, and connecting like-minded officials from around the USA and beyond. You can expect so much more as I feel like we are just getting started and I'm very excited and energized to see how far we can take this mission and brand and more importantly, see how many human beings we can positively impact. Before I go, I want to thank my family, my wonderful mother, Sheila, my dad, Philip, the real Coach D who named the Crown brand, my brother, Chris, who launched the Crown basketball program in 2013, my sweet sister, Lauren, and all of my nieces and nephews. Thank you to my amazing wife, Jaritza, my partner in life, and my two children, Alexia and Nico, for keeping my bucket of love filled each and every day. I am so incredibly blessed to have all of you in my life. I hope everyone enjoys this episode, and do me one last favor before you head out the door. Have a spectacular 2024. I remember seeing that and, and thinking to myself, man, the community that Crown Refs is, isn't just about being a good official. Yes, that's the goal, right? Everybody's like, every people are joining because they see the benefit of what you're putting out officiating wise. But once they're in, it's the community that's being built that people are surrounding themselves by other people who want to be better, who want to be good and just generally good people. I think that's that's important to know. I took the opportunity, moved to Atlanta, probably worked 70 games that first year, a bunch all over the place, a bunch of, you know, division JUCO, division two, a little bit of mid mid major division one. Um, that's where I met James down, down in Atlanta. Uh, we would drive back and forth to Pembroke, North Carolina, which is six hours one way for $125 and drive right back after the game because we didn't want to spend money on a hotel. <laughs> we didn't have any. And, uh, <laughs> didn't have any time. and um, uh, I, I ended up filling in a, in James's role after being out there for a little while as interning for for John Guthrie and that was a great experience got to learn a lot of the how to you know how to assign games and how to put together crews with crew chiefs and referees and umpires and and um that was just a really good experience for me down there and uh at the same time I got being through in John's program I got on the NBA's radar and ended up getting invited out to NBA Summer League at 23, and I got hired in the NBA's uh, G League or D League at the time, it was the Development League at the time at 24. So worked that for four years until I was 28, and I got hired in, in, uh, in the NBA at 28 in, in 2000. James, what year did you get hired? 2009? We were 10. You were nine. You were 10, so in 2009, I got hired in 2009, and then I worked 13 years as an NBA referee. And uh, this season took the um, – I had a replay job. So. Also on block shot plays, look who jumps higher, right? Look whose arm is higher. Because if the defender's arm is higher than the shooter's arm, it's usually going to be a block. If the shooter's arm is above the defender, then it's going to be a hit. So that's um, some good physics to incorporate, I think, on the block shot plays. 
look who the hired jumper is. We learn much more from our mishaps than we do our successes. Because the mishaps yeah. tend to, they tend to hurt a little bit more and uh, get your attention. So I think it was my third or fourth year in the league. I was like screwing up games. I had like three or four games where at the end of the games I'm making the wrong calls that impacted the game. And at the NBA level, obviously that's, everything is magnified when in our games versus- Very, stre very stressful, very uh, stressful. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, the scrutiny is, is just off the charts. Um, people have no idea. And those, those moments of not doing the right thing really taught me, hey, you gotta get back to basics and um, understanding that the game will humble you at any moment. If you think you have figured this job out, no matter what level you're at, high school, you're a really solid high school official, you're a really solid college official or pro official, you, the game is always has a moment where it can humble you quickly. I really hadn't thought about working men's when crystal got hired i thought it was great i was like so happy for her and at the time i was just like man it's about time i remember an assigner who assigns both asked me um you know he was just trying to get to know me and i was like hey i want to try out for the men's like i want to work men's college and it was like that's not really an option and so kind of just by default which you know is very calm this was 12 years ago so like it was just common that like the default is you just work women. So I kind of, like I said, I just went the women's route. So when Crystal got hired, I was just like, man, it's about time. And then it made me think of like the time I tried out. And of course, like, you know, as an official, you kind of go through that, like, well, dang, I wonder why they didn't hire me. But I was just, I didn't really give it a second thought. I, you know, cause I was still, I mean, I'm still in the G league. So I'm still pursuing like the NBA. And then this past season, Crystal has talked to me since she got hired. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm just like, I've worked so hard on the women's side. I don't want to leave. Like, I, I don't want to leave yet. I like, I've worked so hard to get where I'm at that I want to see how much further I can go. She's like, okay, well, when you're ready, you know, you come talk to me. So like the last two summers, when I see her at Drew League, she's always talking about it. And um, I feel like you guys are always, we're plotting that at the Drew League in the summertime. That's Crystal. She was definitely plotting this whole time. I think she kept like planting the seed, planting the seed until I finally was like, mm, you know, maybe so. When she talked to me about it, I was like, you know, if it gets me back home, like, I think I'll give it a try. Like if I can work men's basketball, like get hired in the West Coast Consortium, if they invite me to camp, I'm going to go. She's like, well, what? because that was the first thing. Well, if you get invited, like, would you go? Are you going to decline? And I remember the year before that, I told her I would decline, you know, because where I was at on the women's side. So then last year, as the season ended, I was really just like, I'm trying to move back home. And if it presents itself, like, I'll go. I'll go through the process, you know, so I went through the process. OK, player got hit in the eye. Got got hit in the eye. You're reporting a hit. Now, I know there's no approved signal a hit to the head in high school. However, I think it's very, it's important that we use it. I'm even going, I'm going to go hit to the head. I may, may even say, you got hit in the eye. Or I may even go like a hit to my face. I know that's not approved, but again, I'm just trying to narrate exactly what the contact was. You let, you let the table know he got hit in the eye. Coach will never question you on that. Much like if you got hit in the head. So I just think that's an easy signal for us and an appropriate one to use when there's head contact. So take advantage of that. Um, that's all I got for you guys. What else? What do you have for me? What do you want to talk about? I just really want to talk about that. You know, I felt like that was a lot.
we talked about sort of at the end, you know, it's just when you can't see the clock. We knew there was time. Right. So Did we you just see that? We yeah, made a foul in the corner, like a three-point shot at the buzzer, basically. Clear foul before buzzer. And I, I had at least half clock a responsibility, but I couldn't see it. I right. knew that his whistle and arm was before the light came on the board and the horn. Mm -hmm. So if we know there's time before, I knew it was at least half a second in my head. Yeah. Put up half a second, right? I mean, if you have definite yeah. knowledge, right. absolutely. At least half, yeah. I had a foul, and then he came to the ground, and then the horn went off. So it was clear foul before. Yeah. So. Just final point back on his charge. Did anybody else have an opinion of that play? I, I was at half, about half court. Good. It was a mini fast break. I, I, I did not have a good angle on it, but I did see the body contact. I was, I was at center coming down, and I saw it, and I'm like, I want to reach over and grab it, but I didn't know if I didn't see any, if I didn't see it right, or if I saw something different. So I didn't want to reach over there and take it away from him. I gotta get over to these guys. Thanks, Paul. Great stuff. Appreciate Great it. Stuff. Absolutely. Show good sportsmanship. Protect yourself at all times. And what I say, you must obey. Good luck to both of you. Touch them up. God bless. Kenny Bayless, who is refereeing his eighth Pacquiao fight and sixth Mayweather match, administers his final instructions. That fight for me, Paul, was kind of like the, the icing on the cake. And, and, and the reason why I say that is because as, as I came through the ranks as a, a referee, it wasn't easy. I had my challenges. And when I got selected to do the Pacquiao Mayweather fight, the fact that it was a fight that fight fans had, had waited some time for, but for this fight to be labeled the fight of the century, that's what made it special. Because if one was to say the modern era, the only other fight prior to Mayweather Pacquiao, which was labeled the fight of the century, was when Muhammad Ali fought Joe Frazier, the first fight. That fight was labeled the fight of the century. So it, it was an honor for me to get that fight. And through all the trials and tribulations that I had, had, had gone through up to that point, to, to get that fight was, was special. Now, I had refereed Floyd Mayweather a few times, as well as Manny Pacquiao. Both fighters are clean fighters. I, I knew that that there wasn't going to be any issues or problems of doing that fight. For me, it was just enjoy the moment. And that's what I did between meeting Denzel Washington and Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and all the celebrities that were there that night. I just enjoyed the moment. It was special. Um, I'm Eli. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, I, I, what I love about the content is that it improves my knowledge of the game. Um, it really helps me. I work on my moves, knowing what's legal versus like illegal, um, and one day I might want to be a ref. And there you go. This is a really interesting uh, account, and I just love it. Did you ever think you would like uh, be interested in like a in referee information or learning more about officials? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I like my, my favorite NBA official is kind of weird, but it's Zach Zarba. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, Brooklyn Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I'm a Bulls fan. He did screw us one time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For sure, I'm super interested in wrestling, and it's just a really great way to know more about the game. That's awesome, man. Well, reach out to me on Instagram anytime sure, if you want. Sure. Any questions you have. Appreciate you coming out to me. Thank you. People want to know about the NCAA tournament. And how did you choose guys, and how did you advance guys? And <clears throat> at the end of the day, I watched 67 games myself. I had 
four guys, my regional advisors that were doing call action reports. And so I would take the data from the call action reports, match it up with what my eyes and my gut told me. And it would just clearly, you know, um, delineate those who are in the top tier and those who are in the bottom. The problem is, uh, <clears throat> I think when I started, when I got to the final four, I had, I think, 13 guys my first year that I thought qualified and should be there. <clears throat> well, I could only take 10. All right, move on. My last year in 2022, I think I had 21 guys that um, met the standard for working the final four, both eyesight, gut, and what the data backed up. I thought you did a nice job position adjusting on three-point shots, stepping down, seeing in between the point of contact, finding the open space. I saw that multiple times, so that was great work. You had a held ball play with Jim. You were in good position here. I thought you were staring right at the play. Jim and lead kind of came up a little bit. Were you passing on that? And I was going to pass up because I didn't think they had enough to... I, it was, you know, I, I, I wanted to go ahead. They may not have had possession, so yeah. maybe, maybe, I reached, maybe I reached. Those plays, we got to stay patient. I, we all know a, a maybe potential held ball is coming, but in that case, I don't think it was because as you called it, the ball pops out. Right. So just stay patient. I know guys are on the ground. They're tugging. They're pulling. So we have a heightened sense of awareness in those positions. But good no call by you. Let it, let it play out. Recognize the rotation if you're in the trail and the lead is rotating over, feel that, be connected with that. So as soon as he moves, you're prompted to then slide down in the center. A couple times you forgot, and it's happened to all of us, where we just, we think we're the trail when we're actually supposed to be the center. center right. okay. So you were the center up here a couple times. Okay. So just being tapped into that lead when they rotate it, almost like a sixth sense, you know, crew awareness. If you want to be an NBA referee, you want to be a high school basketball referee, you want to be a men's division one referee, a women's division one referee. If you believe that that very thing is your identity, that if you don't reach there, your happiness will never be able to be had in life, then you are inherently more likely to allow failure to define you. You will carry the label of failure on your back. You'll be walking around feeling like your failure will be on your forehead for everyone to see because your whole identity was wrapped up in that thing. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for every goal that we want, every dream that we want. What I am saying is that we have got to be outcome driven, but not outcome dependent, outcome focused, but not outcome dependent. That if we fall just a touch short, it doesn't mean that we can't have happiness and fulfillment in life. And that's the end goal, is happiness, is fulfillment. And one thing I'd want to challenge you to do, you know, it's funny because when we fail, we oftentimes will wear it as a label. We view ourselves as a failure. It's like, I didn't get into that league. I didn't get into this conference. I didn't get that opportunity, so I'm a failure. But if we're gonna label ourselves all the failures that we've accumulated, can't we label ourselves all the success that we've had? What about the successes? That's a great question. He's a very, uh, he was the hardest guy I ever had to ref because people bounced off of him. And it was hard because now you're trying, as Monty McCutcheon uses a great word, discerning plays. You know, discerning. That's NBA referee. You got to have discernment. What is and what isn't. And he was hard to discern. 
great story. He stole my tap all the time. And I was proud of the way I threw the ball up because Joe Gashu taught me how to do it. But he kept stealing it, and it was steaming my ass. So I'm, I'm, I can't remember what game it was. I have no idea. And you know how dry he is. He talks, he talks like a real love like this. No. I said, Shaq, you have been stealing my toss for I don't know how many years now. I said, you are not doing it tonight. And he looked at me and said, it's my job, man, to steal it. <laughs> and he got it again. He had it timed, you know, because I used to stand there with it and try to joke a shoot told me, you got to surprise the players at this level because they all can go get it. So you got to surprise them. So I would just stand with the ball like this and look around the circle and then boop, and then I'd throw it as, as quick as I could, you know, and, and, but he'd still get it. He'd time it. He, he, he had me down because in our game, shit, whoever gets the, gets the tap first quarter gets it in the fourth. It's a big deal. You know, before every game, I would right before I throw the jump would be, you know, stay in your primary, call the obvious referee, the defender, don't guess. So those, those four, you can apply. Anytime I make a mistake, you can fit, fit the mistake into one of those categories, you know, 99% of the time. So you're trying to get to the state championship tournament this, this year and you start pressing and then that's when mistakes and things happen versus just really sticking to the fundamentals and the basics. I, every night, try to stick to the fundamentals and the basics. And when I make mistakes, it's because I, I, I deviate from the fundamentals and the basics. Hopefully you can take a few of these tactics and, and use them. All the answers are here. These are all tried and true. I've done them hundreds of times. I've shared them to hundreds of other officials who text me and email me all the time about the success. So it's, it's all here. It's up to you guys just kind of downloading the information and then going and doing it in the game. And I've attached everything. You'll get an email of this full presentation. So here's some common things in red that we all hear. Ref, how is that not a foul? Coach, I didn't see any illegal contact on the play. What exactly did you see? So again, rule-based explanation, giving them a question to reapply the pressure. Coach, the defender maintained their legal guarding position. Talk to me, what did you see? What did you see works very well? after you give them a good explanation. Their ability to visually see what happens and then very quickly from training, be able to, to, to diagnose it and make the call. The visual is the key thing to officiating any sport. You know, with technology today, you got instant replay and you can always go back to the instant replay, especially on questionable calls or close calls. As an official, you want to get it right. That's the key. And what I used to do is I used to train my eyes as to what I saw so that I could make the call right then and right there. So for me, training the eye to what you see is, is the key because we have to know what we're looking at in order to make the right call. I would treat instructional camps and hiring camps, I would treat them the same because you never know what opportunity can come out of it.
like I said before, you never know who's in the gym. There literally could be an assigner in there that's looking for, you know, new and young officials or just, they're just looking for officials. So definitely be prepared. All your preparation starts. Definitely give yourself a rest period when your season ends. But when you start to prepare for camp, really prepare for camp. I know at the time when I was going through the camp process, you're working a ton of AAU ball and rec leagues and stuff like that. I would say really hone in on being sharp with your signals, running, because your habits are built in those games. And until you get to a point where you can really, it's a switch where you can turn it off and on, early in your career, you can't. And those little habits of looking lazy or nonchalant, not looking sharp will really seep in when you're on the stage of when it matters. To prepare for camp, I would definitely say just work games, work in in, and really challenge yourself if you can. I know we don't really have too much control over where we can work, but try and put yourself out there. Work in leagues that are going to challenge you. Like if it's older, honestly, I feel like the hardest leagues to work are the 40 and over leagues. There's more physicality and they don't play like they think they're playing. And so they're fouls. And then now, now you got to use your, your, your communication skills and your diffusing skills. Cause you want to go back there and you don't want to just be whacking everybody, but really challenge yourself to prepare yourself as much as you can for camp. Um, because there's always going to be a level of nervousness for something new. But the more prepared you are, you'll be more successful. Crown Ref Mentor Program. Crown Refs is... Crown Refs. Crown Refs. Crown Refs Mentor. Just Crown Refs Mentor Group. Crown Refs. Crown Refs has helped me out a lot. If you're a basketball official looking to take your game to new levels, we highly recommend you join the Crown Refs Mentor Program and Community for Officials. We have over 250 like-minded referees who are passionate about getting better and helping you along the way. Click the link in this video to join today. Teach me some breathing exercises. If you take air in for three seconds, then hold it for three seconds, let it out for three seconds, hold it empty for three seconds, rinse and repeat. And you go through that two or three times and all of a sudden you're more relaxed. At timeouts, if you breathe from your gut instead of your chest, it releases a different endorphin in your body and literally continues to bring down and calm you. And nobody ever knew when I was out there that, you know, there was stuff going around in my head, but I had mechanisms to help my body deal with the stress that was involved. Talking players out of borderline illegal act. Two things, number one, tuck your shirt in. A couple times on rebounds, I thought you were like hooking the arm. If I see that, that's gonna be an intentional foul, not even a regular foul, okay? So I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it. I wanted to let you know. I'm not trying. I promise. It doesn't matter, though. How do officials find the balance between accountability and being critical and honest of themselves, but still maintaining that positive self-talk so it's constructive? Yeah, it's great, Paul. It's a great question. Again, it goes back to the question I asked and I challenge them when failure rises is what can I learn from this? Although that may be simplistic and cliche, you're giving yourself permission to confront the very failure, right? So if there's a play at the end of the game, for instance, and you know that your supervisor's upset, you know, you know that you've got the call wrong rather than avoiding it, 
you're taking time to confront it by confronting it and asking the question and being honest with yourself and learning the lessons, you have to reframe what these lessons now mean. Some people will absorb the lesson, pardon me, but never learn the lesson and apply it to the next game, right? Because they're filled with pride or ego or something else. So back to your question of how can we still perpetuate positive self-talk without compromising our growth and development, it really comes through what it is that we do in application, right? Where it's not enough to just now say, here's the question. So that question to me is reframing failure at its core because you're, you're taking the time to observe the thing that went south. And as we all know, we've all been guilty of it. When we watch our game film, it's nice to see how great we look in our movements. It's not always as easy to look at the failed attempts, but when we're celebrating failure, this concept of celebrating it, of flipping it on its head, so it's no longer something that has power over you, you give yourself an opportunity to see it from a different perspective. You also had a foul down here on a post play. He was calling for the ball and got held from behind, got wrapped. Do you remember that play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good call. I want you to use your voice on plays like that. I'm not saying I want you to talk them out of a foul there, but that's the play type where you see a little hold and grab, let go, let go. It's gonna help create a little bit better game flow. I'm not telling you to talk people out of fouls when there's illegal contact, but when it is below the level of illegal, just use your voice. Let go, let go. Maybe there's nothing you could have done on that play, but moving forward. This is not about this game. It's about your career moving forward. All of us share in that, in this mentoring process to share this stuff with each other and to bring new people from completely different angles of life and different personalities together in some crazy passion that you really want to voluntarily put yourself in an extremely high intense environment where grown professional adults act adolescent in front of thousands of people and none of it is scripted and you will not be recognized for anything that you do for this entire contest unless you make a mistake and you can't wait to do this think about what that makes us think about the integrity and the honor of what that makes our fraternity that's why you help every partner in every game, even if you really don't want to go have a beer with him or her or pop with him or her after the day. That's irrelevant. This thing is so deeply philosophically tied into who we are as people that you will learn more about everything you do in your life if you get into this in that way and appreciate what that all means and what you are voluntarily doing and then ask yourself, why am I doing it? For a check don't do it for the check it'll never pay and i made a lot of money doing it, it was never for the check you know what i mean like it was for the challenge like can you crank this up five nights a week and then not take the weekends off go do an nfl game and then crank it up for five more days next week in this environment every night with this pressure knowing you're going to make some mistakes along the way but it's all good because i'm here for the right reasons like 
and then to have these mentorships at this level this is like priceless stuff man i'm telling you coach is saying he undercut him anytime a coach is looking for an explanation i love giving explanations granted i don't really want to have to talk to the coach i want to be able to do my role in the game and him do his role but if he's asking like a respectful question or just wants an explanation in which I thought your conversation eventually led to him just wanting an explanation. But he initially started by saying, he undercut him, he undercut him. So I'm in, that's coming up on my radar, right? He says it once, okay, we can ignore it. But once he starts repeating it, repeating it, that'd be behavior that I would want to address, right? So go give him an explanation. Hey coach, I'm happy to give you an explanation. Please don't shout your opinion out onto the court. I heard you the first time. You don't have to repeat it three or four times, right? So just kind of playing offense there and you're controlling the benches, you're controlling the dialogue, right? Final point, you looked slightly reluctant to open up that conversational thread with him. It was like he kept asking, and then you're like, all right, all right, what do you need? Not that you didn't have a good attitude, but just be open and play offense there. Crown Riffs presents the Rapid Fire Round with Roger Ayers. Moose or Joe? Moose. Favorite movie? Uh, a few good men. Instagram or TikTok? Neither. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. A song that you vibe out to before the game? Uh, anything by Elvis. Cardio or weights? Cardio. Morning or nighttime workout? Morning. Favorite arena to work a game? Give us the not so obvious answer. Um, well, it's not a college arena, but it'll be Madison Square Garden. Favorite saying or slogan? Be better. An overtime thriller or a regulation buzzer beater? Overtime thriller. A no call or an N1? No call. That's my boy. Favorite hand signal? Hit. Favorite official to watch? John Higgins. Funniest thing a coach has said to you? Your hair's messed up. Top three basketball players you've refed? Uh, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, Tyler Hansworth. A retired official from another era that you'd like to work a game with? Lenny Wirtz. Funniest thing you've been called by a fan? Pretty boy. <laughs> they weren't lying. Which ref besides yourself has the best sense of humor? Brian O'Connell. Who's the most challenging coach to work with? All of them. Favorite vacation destination? Hawaii. Two more, best young official on the come up. What's that? Who's the best young official in your opinion on the come up? Can name a couple of them. Matt Potter in the Big East and Chance Moore in the Big 12. Final question, a fun fact that no one knows about you. I've never caught a shot clock violation. <laughs> but not here. I go right here. So Rasheed picks up a real quick foul. Out. Guy's taking a ball to the basket. I'm under the, I'm in the lead. The guard gets beat. Guy's going to dunk the ball. Rasheed just whacks the hell out of the offensive player at the going to the going to the rim. I call the foul. Rasheed, I'm not even done giving his number at the table. Rasheed was walking right to the bench. <laughs> He's just one of those guys that he had his principles and what he adhered to as a player, and that's what he did. Who the hell am I to judge? The guy is a 
I mean, the guy is a great, great player. I mean, a great player. I mean, when, you, when you're out there and you're going through it, Paul, that's another thing. Then you're aggravated. You're pissed off. <laughs> you know, you're being demeaned, you know, in front of people and you get pissed off. But really, in reality, when you think about it later, Jesus Christ, this is way, this is how this guy had to compete. You know, and I was not a, the, 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 the guy I am off the floor that I was on the floor. On the floor, I was a nutcase, you know, but off the floor, it was a totally different, a different thing. My wife always tells that to people. People always come up to me and they start talking about, oh, you're this, that, and the other thing on the court. And my wife would always go, you don't live with him. He's completely opposite <laughs> of what he is there. Another book that I've read that I wanted to share with you is called Staring Down the Wolf. Basically talks about finding the thing that scares you the most and just meeting it head on. Staring it down and saying, you're not gonna scare me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come after you and I'm going to defeat you because I am it. And I know that, you know, when you and I had first started talking that I had mentioned a lot of fear uh, fear-based things that were coming up to me, uh, reaching out to you, reaching out to other contacts to bring onto this podcast uh, was fearful for me. And through working with you one-to-one and through reading those books, I have finally gotten past that, that fear stage. And now it's just a matter of creating that list and just executing. That's also a lot to be said with communication in general, right? You can have all of these tools, but unless you're executing with those tools, they're just kind of there. When you see a problem, sprint to it. Sprint to it. Mm -hmm. Don't walk, don't speed walk, don't gallop, don't skip, don't jog, sprint to it. Mm -hmm. Now that is a mindset right there. I'm not telling you to run into a burning building. Yeah. But that is a mindset that hopefully can help one person. The next time they see a challenge, um, a problem, a difficult situation that makes them uncomfortable, then normally they would turn the other way. No, no, we want you to sprint that way. That that right there is going to help at least one person. Just take one. One by one by one. Sportsmanship is the number one point of emphasis this year. So I think now more than ever, we don't have to listen to barking onto the court at officials. We're going to be approachable. If we have to go give the coach a response in order to establish those communication guidelines, great. But we also have the warning in high school. We stop the game, we give an automatic a warning, a bench warning for unsporting conduct, right? So that's an effective tool we have. Or we have a technical foul. We're not going to let the coach shout across the court. So if he's shouting at you across the court, I'm the table side official, I'm going to de-escalate him right away. So vice versa. Yes. You know, let's just be conscious of that. If we have to give a technical foul, let's just slow down. Whoever gives it, it's always good partnering if the other partner comes up to them, slows us down. So if you call a tech, I'm going to come right up to you. All right, Walt, what do we got? Technical foul? Who's it on? All right, five. Did we have anything before that? Because it could be a layered play where we had a foul and then a technical foul. So it's just always good to take our time during those situations. I feel like, even myself included, I, I rush too much. You know, I feel, I feel like I meet for a good amount of time, then you watch the film and you're like, out, like it was three seconds. 
So it's just best to really slow down because those are the hard moments of the game when you have like loaded plays and your heart's racing, blood pressure goes up, right? So we just got to calm each other down. So if we have a technical foul, let's just get together, take our time administering it. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the culture that was, that's been in, in place for officiating for a very long time. And that, and that is they've kind of wanted to keep it a kind of a closed uh, group in order to control the games and control the money and control everything really. Um, so, you know, the, the, if you, once you put it into the technology, technological, logical space, now you access to everyone and, and it, you connect people from all over and there's more, there's a, the ability to learn from, from other people outside of your little region. And, and those people that are in those positions lose some of the control. So mm -hmm. I think, I think that was, that's a big part of it. That's why it's taken so long to get, get, to get here. I, I also think it just really harms officiating. I think number one, it humanizes referees, but I also think technology also helps to show the fans a different aspect of it. You know, it gives them a better insights as to how officials work, what's their mindset and things of that nature. So, you know, I, I see a lot of positives to it, uh, but for whatever reason, you're right. We, we just haven't, um, we just haven't been open to it. And I think we have a new generation now of folks, millennials, uh, gener generation Z, this is their world. We have a ways to go and we can get there if we can just put our ego aside and, and you know work on getting better collectively. Maintain strong eye contact. When you look away after giving an explanation or you look down, they're just gonna respect you a little bit less. Your core presence decreases a little bit. Just maintain the eye contact the entire time. 30,000 people booing you at the, at the top of their lungs. I am a huge proponent of self-talk. I mean, when I, when I grew up in the Big Ten, I was refereeing with Eddie Hightower, Jim Burke, Timmy Higgins, Steve Wilmer, Ted Hillary, and I'm a 30-year-old, you know, snot with, you know, I, I'm, I'm just a punk. And I remember walking on every one of those floors, and I'd be in that 30 minutes out there going, I belong. I belong here. I'm the best official here, pounding in my brain, reinforcing the message that if I didn't belong here, he wouldn't have hired me and put me in this particular game, no matter what it was. And I will tell you, my first year of Division One, getting 25 games right off the get-go, I was in games I should have never been in. So self-talk was really, really necessary for me. And I would rely on that early on, but I'd also rely on it later in my career when you know, the environment continues to get more stressful and more stressful and more stressful. And those opportunities to, to pound yourself, positive reinforcement of who you are as a person, what you're showing body language wise, how your demeanor is, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of self-talk. So number one, establishing a professional relationship. I think so many times we establish that personal relationship. Hey Frank, how's your season going? How's number 24 from last year? Yeah, I know he's a freshman now at the college. How's he doing? We just go the whole personal route and it doesn't create that professional relationship. They're gonna respect you more if you're keeping it professional rather than personal. Questioning. There's a power in questions. If you asked me a question, just like you did right here, you asked me a question, would two things come to mind? These first two things. Even if somebody dislikes somebody, if they ask a question, our brains begin to find a reply to that question. So by asking engaging, high gain, thought provoking, non-close-ended, but open-ended questions, 
that give opportunity for context and dialogue can help deter their irate behavior to a place where now you've got some common ground. So what does that look like? Very simply, as I just phrased there, what play? There is power in that. Act confused. Even if you're sure of, to some extent, giving yourself an opportunity to really dissect what he's saying can be had through use of that question. So coach is yelling, Adam, my guy just got crushed down there. What, or did you not see it? What, Coach, what play? Okay, are you kidding me? 54, he just, what happened? I No, I didn't see it. What happened? How Did he run through him? And now you're using questions as opposed to, uh, no, he didn't. I didn't have that look. You know, I know there's, we're taught like, I'm not a big fan of one-liners as much anymore because I think that's dehumanizing experiences. What I try to do with these coaches is have a dialogue. So I don't want to be cute, like, you know, one line. That's when I was coming up. They were saying, use one-liners. You know, we're working hard tonight. I hear you. I, I, they, I hear you has some validity because people just want to be acknowledged and heard sometimes. But I want it to be a human encounter. And the best way to have a human encounter is by asking engaging questions. And uh, I, let me add one more thing onto that. The questions shouldn't be rhetorical. They shouldn't be delivered in a tone that is dismissive. And they shouldn't be delivered in a tone that is condescending. They need to be authentic. Even if you're asking it when you know what it's about, it needs to be delivered in an authentic way. Use the three voices. There's three voices. There's our authority voice, when we have to project and run the game. There's our normal voice, which is self-explanatory. And then there's our diffusing voice, de-escalating. I hear you, coach. I hear you. Talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me what you saw. You're bringing them down. So understand those three voices. That's going to help you in your next conversation with the coach, knowing which approach to take. Is this a normal voice conversation? Do I have to let him know how the proper way to communicate is? Do I have to de-escalate? Maybe we missed something on that end. He was a little fired up. Okay, we brought him down from a 10 to a 2. So understand the three voices. I don't think I ever shared this. I don't think in those years I was in tune to any of that kind of stuff. I was so in tune to trying to be a successful ref that I didn't care who was out there. Didn't mean anything to me. All I wanted to do was be the best I could and get to the finals and be a good partner. I didn't care what the game was. I didn't care if it was bird and magic. I didn't care. Just to, it was in the NBA. I was in the NBA and I was, I was happy I was in the NBA. I didn't care what game it was. The exhibition game to me was the same as, same as the finals game. I know people look at me, Joe, they go, Joe, that's not, that's, you're not right there. That's wrong. I wish I was wrong because I would remember more of them because I don't remember a, a lot of them. And that's what aggravates the hell out of me. I wish I had those memories. Really, I'm telling you, there's not one time I walked in the locker room and knew that Larry Bird had 30. Ask them questions to reapply the pressure. They're putting pressure on us. When you reapply the pressure by asking them a question after you've given them a rule-based explanation, they don't know what to say. So we want to get them to that point and then the conversation is over. 
So reapply the pressure that comes in the form of asking a good question after you've given them an explanation. That's the most effective way. Coach, I had the defender establishing a legal guarding position. That's why I had a no call. What'd you see? And then just listen. Throw the ball in their court. Go ahead, coach. What, what do you got? Now you're asking them to give an officiating explanation, something they're not comfortable doing. They're very comfortable shouting one-liners, generic one-liners to us. But when we actually get down to the specifics, they're not the expert. That's what, that's what our job is. And then the awareness on the court. Look, there's times when you have a hard play. Uh, and how do you navigate that hard call when a coach is misbehaving? And, and truthfully, you don't go opposite the court after you make that call, right? You tell that trail official that's next to the table after you finish presenting your foul to them, uh, go across. I'm going to stay here right now because I'm going to give this guy or gal 30 seconds of time right now and have this not confrontational conversation, but I'm going to manage that portion. When officials are on the same page on their judgments and consistency, naturally the game goes much better. Uh, when they understand the managing part that the crew was doing because the collective is so much more important than the individual and in, in anything in life, that, that's the essence of what makes this thing go so well. And, uh, and that's what you have to always try to require, right? You must do that. And sometimes you'll be the young one on the game. And then very quickly, two nights later, you're the referee that's got to handle two or three other officials that might not be that experienced. So live the roles, but continue to work within that team, that, that fraternity. It's, it's, it's when the special stuff takes place. Let's be proactive with the players. I mean, we're going to warn them in the pregame for taunting and, and sportsmanship, um, but they'll still sometimes say things to each other that, that falls under the radar or the threshold of a technical foul. So let's be proactive. Anytime players are talking to each other, that immediately hits my radar, for the most part, if I could see it or feel it, and I'm always going to have a response to them. Try to stay ahead of the game that way. Let's let play start, develop, finish, and decide. You know, it's a two-person game, so it's a more court coverage than the three-person game. Um, so let's just be 100% when we blow the whistle. Um, I feel like we blow the whistle too much overall. Like, on any level, any game, I just see too, I'm just too many whistles. So let's just make sure we stop it when something illegal happens. Coach, your kids need you. Yeah, that's a great tactic. You know, I had a breakthrough with that this year um, with our rapid response series. We have 13 episodes of that, but one one um, kind of strategy I started implementing this year with the community is getting them back to their role in the game. Having the courage to say a line just like what you did. Your kids need you. That is a guaranteed win. That is gonna work 99% of the time because you're giving them a sense of awareness because they obviously lost it in that moment. And it's just great, truthful advice. It really is. And the other thing I said in there that, that I think um, coaches need to hear, and, I, and you probably didn't even hear the word. The word was, coach, this isn't personal. I'm glad you said that. I'm going to add the personal line because I've been promoting the opposite end of that spectrum. We need you to be more professional. But I think to even couple them both in there in that line, that's double meaning, that's double the impact. I think that would be highly effective. Agreed. We spoke about the first play. I thought it might have been a hit to the head, so I just want to make sure if there's any hits to the head, we don't show this. Okay. You see refs that some show, sometimes show hits because I know hit to the head is not an approved signal in high school. Use it anyway, 1,000%. Okay.
anytime it gets hit to the head at the table. White, 22, hits him in the head. Nobody's going to say nothing about that. Um, stop. What does that say? Stop. Oh, when you're reporting the fouls, just stop at the table. Okay. You're running up, right? And then just plant and then pop, all right? Um, great no call here on the held ball. I love the patience. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we need to have patience on held balls. Sometimes we have to blow it, blow it dead and have a quick whistle, whether we think someone's about to fall, that's just feel for the game type stuff. But I think on held ball plays, it's, it's best to just give it an extra second to play out because a lot of times somebody comes up with it and we're going the other way. We don't have to stop the play. For me, it's just constant reading. I, I just get in the book and I read. I, I've never been one for cards or anything like that. I just read and I read and I read and I read and I make myself a lot of notes in my book. Uh, my rule books and my case books, and I do that all the time. Yesterday I was in Denver, and after we have our day meeting and everything and go to lunch, I go back and I read 75 case plays, and I'm just jotting it down, and it gets to a point where the book looks like it's, you can't even see the actual plays because there's so much writing in, in the book, but that's how I learn, um, and that's how I keep my mind fresh by constantly being in the books, and it's not eight hours a day it's 30 45 minutes a day to keep my and if i do that consistently throughout the season you're going to you go through the books three or four times um so for me it's just constantly getting in those books we have the benefit of this is our job if we're on a plane we can kill time by doing it there or when we're in the hotel we can do it there we don't actually have another job that we have to do and then come home and do other stuff we have the benefit of not having that kind of a time crunch. But even when we were coming up and we were working lower level college and we did have real, real job, I like, I like to call them. It's, it's about what do you want to get out of it? If, if you just want to do some games on the weekend and make a few extra bucks, you're only going to, you're not going to put in as much as someone, if someone wants to really become a division one referee, they're going to put in more effort and more energy. Um, they're not going to make excuses as to why they don't have time to get into books. Um, because that's a big part of the job, knowing the rules. Uh, visible count. So let's, let's do the hand count now. Five-second hand count. This is where we want to be equally as good from both sides. Same thing with the fingers. Fingers should not be out. Your hand is tucked, your thumb is tucked, and it's an extension of your shoulder. That's the level we're working with, shoulder level. Outward. This a, that's a preference. You do what you feel comfortable. I close mine. I close mine, but... Again, it's up to you. And we're going, we're going to extend all the way out. So we're finishing here. We're starting here. And this is right at your shoulder, chest level. Shouldn't be an upward diagonal angle. Shouldn't be a low angle. I saw some of you today counting low. Keep the count here, shoulder level. Shoulder, shoulder level for points and hand counts. Shoulder level. Let's see. Fingers are attached, and it finishes here, not like you're turning your hand a little too far this way. Yeah, there you go. Finish there. Good. Good, James. See your fingers. What do you got there? What do you got going on? The pinky? You want the pinky to hang out with the rest of them? There you go. They want to be together. They're a family. A finger family. <laughs> Looks good. Little, I see little things, right? So like a little bent in the, in the hand, keep it straight, keep it flat. Thumb is, thumb is good. Just keep it close to your hand. Good. That was the best one you did right there. Perfect. I like how you finished it.
Looks good, pal. Maybe you won't see me, but if I'm right. Your thumbs. You still got your thumbs and your fingers. You do, I don't want you to get rid of that. Well, it was, it was sticking out. When I'm looking at your hand, I want it to be as flat as possible. Do whatever you... Do the whole hand count. Count with the whole hand. And I don't know, when you tuck your hand like that, it looks... It doesn't look as good as either closing it or keeping it flat. In my opinion. And honestly, I, I gotta gotta give a shout out to, to the Crown Refs podcast and the Crown Refs community. Um, that group right there has been the reason why I've grown so much in this past year. Yeah. Um, so Crown Refs is basically this community of officials. It's almost at 300. I think we're just below 300 of us from across the country, a couple international people. Wow. Um, people of all levels. Um, we got some officials that are new. We got some people in the NBA pipeline. We got people doing college and stuff. Some people doing FIBA. Um, I think we even got, yeah, we got, we even got NBA ref in there. We got, That's, uh, man, this is a diverse group. I <laughs> so, like this. It's tough. So it's like, we're just all in the discord. It's like, a, so they have a Patreon where they put out content. That's how I first heard about it was like on Spotify with the podcast and stuff. And so yep. Paul puts out content, but like really like the membership and the biggest benefit of it is being in the discord with everybody. Where right. You can just like ask questions. People will send plays that they have and stuff. And it's just like a resource and free flowing like conversation about just officiating like at all times. And so I, they opened my eyes to like all this, like I really under, like got an understanding of like what it is or like with the industry of refing. Like it's easy to just like, okay, I have this game, go to this school, call a game. Exactly. But this is like, there's so much more to it, like camps and all that stuff. Um, so that really helped like expedite my growth. Number 12, understand the difference between offense and defense. Defense is de-escalating what I just did. I hear you coach. Talk to me. Talk to me. Tell me what you saw. You could be right. Those was all defense. I'm trying to bring him down in volume. Offense is when I come over to you during a timeout after you just shouted on the court. And that's not me coming over to give you an explanation about a play. That's me coming over to establish the respectful guidelines. Coach, I'm very approachable. You can speak to me. You can ask me a legit question. I'm here to answer. We're not going to tolerate you shouting across the court. We're not going to tolerate you refereeing from your bench. Is that fair? That's offense. Every unsporting comment is an opportunity to play offense. So you should be cataloging everything that happens. I know we have a lot to worry about during the game. Part of bench decorum is part of the game. So cataloging things, storing it, understanding when the coach was demonstrative after a no call. And this way, when you enter that conversation in the second quarter, you have things to pull from. Coach, you're doing a lot of refereeing from the bench. You're throwing your arms up and down. You can speak to me. Please don't use your arms. Right? So just cataloging everything and then using it as offense when you speak to them. Timing, what you say, and what your body is saying. If we just whack somebody four minutes have passed, I'm in front of them, and I walk over to go, you all right? It's not going to work because I've got a closed position. But I go to him and I go, Coach, we good? Everything good here? No, J.D., I'm upset that you're part of it. Coach, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm asking, are, are, are you calm down now? Are we okay? You know, trying to defer it to, we're not talking about me. We're not talking about him. We're talking about, I need you in this game. And one of the lines I would use in those scenarios, if it wasn't working, would be, Coach, I know that you want to share with us your, your feelings. I get it, and I'll listen to you. You know that. Your kids need you. Hmm. Your kids need you. Great line. This. Let's go the next four minutes. You pay attention to your kids. I'll pay attention to the referees. 
and we'll both be good. All right. Yep. JD. Good point. Good point. And again, nine out of 10 times when you say your kids need you, the bells go off in a coach's head. You're not saying they're bad. You're not saying they're horrible. You're just saying to them the reality, your kids need you. And you're also saying, I don't. <laughs> they do. I don't. But you don't say that. You're, you're trying to defer them back to what they should be doing um, primarily. You mentioned early in that story uh, coming out of the first half, oh, we let them get away with too much. Why do we as officials do that? And what do we have to change to, to lose that fear of penalizing what is in the rule book? I think we all have a desire to be cooperative, you know, work with people and, and, you know, we have that desire and yet maybe the person, the coach is not, he's not on the same page and we, we just miss out on it. That's one thing. Second thing is sometimes we're scared. We're just scared to address it. Here's the funny thing. My boss, Jim Bain, who I learned more from in officiating than any other human being was at in the gym. I knew when we walked in the locker room as the referee on that game, he's going to light us up at halftime. Now, me personally, I've never been as a coordinator. I've never been in a locker room at halftime. <laughs> never. Because that has a potential of changing an outcome of a game. But Boomer came in and he told us that will not happen in the second half. And if it does, you guys are going home. Figure it out and walked out the door. Well, my methodology was, again, blunt to the point. I walked right over to Greg and said, Greg, I'm going to try to help you here. Now, he's he's ready to fire at me and all this. I said, you don't understand. This is a one-way conversation. Getting it. I'm trying to help you. If you respond favorably, it'll be good for you. If you do not, don't really care. And like I said, he lasted two minutes. So, you know, is what it is. He's got to go. Don't judge the coach for previous behavior, whether positive or negative. Every game we go in should be a clean slate. Don't even talk about what he did five games ago. Don't talk about what they did five years ago, whether he was the greatest coach or the worst coach in the world relevant. Just have your procedures in place on how you're going to respond if they act on sporting. For me, it's the coach of team A, coach of team B. I don't care anything about history, and it makes our job uh, simpler. So few people live with work with or occupy such passion in today's world. People have allowed the bad breaks, the missed opportunities, the games that maybe went south, the leagues that you didn't get hired into, the conflicts that you had with your partner, the coronavirus, politics, all of these things that are out there in the world that are external factors. We allow all these things to suck away our joy, our enthusiasm, our passion. Passion is something that although it can't be felt, although it's not tangible, why it matters to have it is because it can undoubtedly be felt from an emotional connection standpoint, from a connectivity with others. We've all just uncovered that. You're able to tell, you've all told me, you're able to tell if somebody's passionate and passion is contagious. We want to be around passionate people and the passionate referee is going to be the individual who's going to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. They're the ones who show up to the Crown Refs podcast live. They're the ones who watch these replays on demand. They're the ones who not only commit to the subscription of being involved in the community and being involved in the program, but are willing to implement what it is that's learned. They're the ones willing to dig deep 
And if you're somebody listening right now who might feel like you've lost your passion, or even if you haven't lost your passion, my hope is to help you regain or retain your passion. What did the coach say to you? I saw him erupt. but He said that's been a follow-all game. You can't call that. You can't call that. And he stepped out onto the court, and I just felt... He, I he, felt that was a great technical foul. Coaches need to start having the conversation about emotional intelligence in late game situations. That's not on us. That is not on us. That is a really bad play by the coach. So like don't don't like let that beat you guys up or cuz they that's what this abuse culture is. Now they're pointing to him saying, you know, you guys screwed that game up. No, no, no. We're going to rewrite the, the whole conversation the way it should be and he has to be sportsmanlike there in that in that moment. And I don't know what he said to you, but I'm actually glad that you did because right after I did it, he said you can't do that. And I told him he he has every right to administer a technical for an unsporting for unsporting comments because this is a bunch of crap. Why'd you go up to the coach? I was right there. You get away from him. Okay. When we give a technical foul to a coach, don't go over to him, don't nurse him, don't see how he's doing, don't try to bring no, him no, down. He's already there. Yeah, I'm saying just get out. There's no. Okay. Why are you over there though? What responsibility did you have over there? I was just coming. Yep. Just Understood. yeah. We don't want to break into jail. We, you know what I'm saying? We don't want to keep. Going. So, what did he say to you for, for him to get the second? He said, this is just a bunch of crap. Okay. And then it's going to hurt my review. It's going to hurt your review. So he's threatening you to take money out of your pocket and give you bad I performance reviews. Huh? I think he meant for Oh, you. really? Okay. I said, that's fine. Cool. No, I would just say, if we give a technical foul, let's not go over to the okay. to the coach. So, I mean, do, do you think we could have avoided the second tech or not? Yeah. Just get out of there. Okay. Yep. Even, if, even if you were transitioning and you're rotating and you're going to be Get away from him, right? I'm certainly not going to be this close to him. I'm going to get away from him, and I'm not even going to look at him. I don't even want to feel, I'm not initiating that conversation with him. There's no conversation to be had. It's not your job to make him feel better about getting beat up. Okay. We're going to let that second one just call itself. So when we're 20 feet away, then everybody's going to hear what the second one is. Okay. Some of us, the Sweet 16 is the highest we will ever achieve. That's our cap. Some it's the Final Four, some it's the NCAA Tournament, some it's Division II, Division III, NAIA, high school basketball. It doesn't matter where your cap is at. You just need to be the very best you can be in that system. I want to talk about one play that you had over here. It was a little bit like the play we spoke about yesterday about shifting your eyes. Do you remember the, the block that you called? Yeah. Okay, just tell me what the defender did wrong. Well, before you answer that, did you get your eyes to the defender long enough, or did you just do it at the end and react? What I saw, the, the defender take a step but for, uh, forward, not backward. If he did move forward, then that's illegal, right? So you thought he moved forward and created the contact? Yeah, for, uh, yeah because he wanted to make a because he can, he can move forward before the contact still and still then reestablish his legal guard. Did you get a look at that play? What did you think? I think it was not a foul. It wasn't a foul at all? No, it wasn't a defensive foul. Oh, you would have... defensive was, for me, was moving backwards, not towards... You, okay. It was like similar to what I called as a charge in the first period. And the player was asking me the same thing, saying, you told me that the defensive player has the right to move unless they move forward. So what is the difference? And I said my colleague had a better look at this. I didn't have the best position. That was my answer. 
but personally, I disagree with the Mars pole. Okay. All right. Well, this is this is fine. This is fine. This is just going to help you moving forward, especially on on the baseline. Try to stay a little bit wider, and as the play is happening, you got to look at the defender the whole time. And then you you're self-talking in your mind. You say legal, 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 and then a crash happens. You already know the answer because he's legal. If you're saying legal, legal, illegal, illegal, crash, then we go block. The biggest thing that I wanted to change was the culture. Uh, I thought there was uh, division amongst officials. I thought there was angst amongst officials, and I thought we needed to build the culture uh, of the brand of official. And not NCAA, not J.D. Collins, but the brand, riding for the brand. And uh, I found that in order to do that, you have to consistently bring a message. And so, as you know, those videotapes would always have uh, the directives to reduce physicality right out of the gate. I'd read every one of them. It was a minute and 17 seconds every time. And all of you went, come on, we've heard this before. But there was a messaging to that. And that was the first step is make sure the messaging was consistent and always coming uh, first. Second step was if you're going to change a culture, then the training has to be consistent. It can't be once every five weeks or once every three weeks or two weeks in a row. It has to be every week. And quite frankly, for me to create uh, the in-season videos every week, I'm doing it from hotel rooms, airplanes, I'm literally recording in my car, uh, plugging my computer in, and I've got the you know the, the the blue ball here that I record with. I'm doing that stuff nonstop over and over and over. And what you all never saw was that in addition to 17 or 18 films a year during each week of the season, I also put out weekly whistles to the media to inform them why we're doing what we're doing. Are you ready to rest? You ready to rest? Are you ready to rest? Are you ready to rest? We all love the game of basketball. Time to give back. Serve the game. So being, being an official is one of the best things that ever happened to me. I would encourage anybody and everyone to do it. Are you ready to rest? Are you ready to rest? Let's go. And another thing kind of related to me not even talking about players, I don't even talk about the table. Because some people come in and they say, oh, the table's great. And then you go in thinking the table's great and you let your guard down and you make a mistake. You go in saying, oh, the table's terrible, which we shouldn't call other people terrible at their right, job, but that's a different story. But we go in thinking they're terrible. Now you go in, you're all hyper aware of things. You're looking for things that aren't there. We're part of the same team. Let's assume they're going to make a couple of mistakes and just be ready to pick up when, when they do. It's a lot of self-talk. For me, for me, the, the, the first thing that I figured out when I was getting nervous is that I can control my breathing. That's a physical way to reduce your stress level. Breathe in through your nose, breathe out through your mouth. Even two short breaths through your nose and out through your mouth is a, is, is a scientific way to calm yourself. I would, I would monitor my breathing, and if I'm, 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 if I'm anxious, that's the first thing I attack is to get my breathing under control. And after that, I self-talk through those mainly the four things. Stay in your primary, referee the defender, call the obvious, and don't guess. And that's going to allow your mind to now visually get to a place that's in a, in a disciplined area. Now you're, you're getting your eyes into your primary, and it's not ten, 10 eggs in a blender. You're on your third of the court, and you're now you're getting to the defender that can hurt you, and, and you're being patient with 
with the play, letting it start, develop, finish, and you're you're making good decisions. And one other thing I would add to it, when you're really, really in a big game, say to yourself, love your first. Just make sure you start off on a good note and you you are patient and have a good, solid, obvious call for your first whistle. And usually right after that, you kind of fall right into it and you're, you're off refereeing your game. So. When you see a problem, sprint to it. Sprint to it. Mm-hmm. Don't walk. Don't speed walk. Don't gallop. Don't skip. Don't jog. Sprint to it. Their ability to visually see what happens and then very quickly from training be able to, to, to diagnose it and make the call. The visual is the key thing to officiating any sport. You know, with technology today, you got instant replay and you can always go back to the instant replay, especially on questionable calls or close calls. As an official, you want to get it right. That's the key. And what I used to do is, I used to train my eyes as to what I saw so that I could make the call right then and right there. So for me, training the eye to what you see is is the key because we have to know what we're looking at in order to make the right call. Number 10, know the difference between asking a question versus questioning a call. If they ask a legit question because they actually want to know the answer, that's great. We will answer that all day. But understand the difference between when they're questioning your decision. Basically, they disagree with you, but they're saying it in question form. But we know it's not a question. They're questioning you. That's going to um, produce a different response for uh, from us. So just know that difference. Why is this camp called The Journey? Just 25 years ago, as I mentioned earlier, 28 years ago when I first started, this hasn't been a journey for me. And it's still a journey. I'm still trying to learn. I still make a lot of mistakes. The mistakes you make out here, you may see me on the side of the court nodding my head because I've made it a thousand times. Don't worry about it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And you're gonna... everyone in this room, guess what? Last year in the game, missed a call. I know it's hard to believe, but you missed a few plays. We're going to talk about that in one of the sessions about how you overcome those type of plays. Those things are all vitally important. When I left this camp that day, I drove back to Running Virginia, and I remember calling my dad who's passed away now. I said, Dad, I went to that camp. I paid $50 to go. And he goes, let me get this straight, son. You paid a man $50, and you ref 40 games in two days, and you paid him to ref? I go, well, yeah. I said, well, your mama didn't do a good job raising you, son. But anyway, I said, Dad, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to do this. I'm not. This is, I'm weighing over my head. I can't do it. I didn't know anything about mechanics. When they said, you know, you have a good, you have good mechanics, I thought, well, I got a guy Firestone I use. I didn't know what mechanics were. They said, well, uh, what's your, uh, how do you talk to a coach? I went, well, I'm scared of him. I'll say nothing. I run. I, I, I knew nothing. And my, I never forget my dad. He was sitting on the front porch. It was about 100 degrees that June. He was smoking a pow-mow, listening to country music. He just kept staring straight ahead. He said, son, that house next door, Monday morning, you know what they're doing? He said, Dad, I, I don't know what they're doing next door. He said, they're going to put a roof on that house. And the roofer come over today and asked me if I were our house done. And I told him no. He said, if you know anybody looking for a job, we need help. So he said, I'm going to talk to that roofer foreman and get you a job, putting shingles on that house. 
and looked at that house and said, it's too hot. I don't want to do shingles. I don't want to do any roofing. So I think I'll stick with the referee a little bit longer. So I think I made the, the wise choice. Uh, but don't quit. Don't give up. There's a lot of negativity out there about efficient. There's a lot of negativity in your hometowns from your peers. So you think of your friends are saying, I can't believe she went to that camp. I can't believe he went to that camp. I went through the same things. The same people who told me, don't waste your money going to Don Lee's officiating school are the same ones now who call me and say, Raj, you are my guy. I, I mentored you. I need tickets to a game. I need you. You are my guy. I pushed you to go to that camp. Your biggest advocate is yourself. Hold your spots. Wait. Red, let it go up. Let it go up. Let go. Let go. No hands. No hands. Wait. Spot. Side. Let's go, Red. So come out this way. This way. Easy up. Easy up. Easy up. Foul's on Red 2. Red 2. Dives on. Subs in. He got teased. Kobe got teased. And he was an aggressive guy. But one of the first games, because I knew him as a kid, he said to me, Mr. Crawford, I said, Kobe, you don't call me Mr. Here. I said, it's, it's not Mr. Here, it's Joe. I said, that, that's we're we're professionals. We're on the we're on the floor together. We're we're fine. You're gonna be screaming at me one night. And he did. He screamed. It, it was it was just, you know. That kid was, um, I think he was the closest thing to Michael. I know people say LeBron and the whole nine yards, and I'm not a basketball guy. I'm not that, you know, I, I don't do that stuff. He was the best player. You know, if you'd ask me, I would tell you Wilt. And then they don't even talk about Magic, and they don't talk about Kareem. They don't talk about Bird. All those great, great players, they were fabulous players. But Kobe, to me, had that, just that, is that that killer? I'll kill you on both ends. That's why I I, I I admired that kid. It hurt me when he when he uh, when he passed. Let's add a point now. So back to the right. Ten stopping the clock with the right, and then point. Dude. Our point. I want to see it shoulder level. Extend your arm. Shouldn't be much bend. It's unnatural to try to do it as straight as possible. You might feel weird on your elbow, but I want to see a nice snap towards the opposite end line. And feel free to ask questions the whole time. Yes. Uh, FIBA approved signal, two, fi two fingers, two fingers. Okay. No, but we're doing violation, violation. Out of bounds, point. But we'll get to that. We're doing one at a time. We're going to progress. Make sure we're, we're um, pointing like straight. We shouldn't be pointing this way. I understand if we're in trail or we're in center, but let's mimic it in the lead position so you're pointing straight. We got to use both hands depending on which side of the court you're on as well. Get your arm a little straighter up. 
I'm gonna see you fire fire that point. Fire it. Snap it. A little bit straighter. But don't here to the drop it down to the shoulder. So stop the clock, then drop your hand to your shoulder and point straight out. Timing what you say and what your body is saying. If we just whack somebody, four minutes have passed, I'm in front of them, and I walk over and go, you all right? It's not going to work because I've got a closed position. But I go to them and I go, coach, we good? Everything good here? No, J.D., I'm upset. You're part of it. Coach, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm asking, are, are, are you calm down now? Are we okay? You know, trying to defer it to, we're not talking about me. We're not talking about him. We're talking about, I need you in this game. And one of the lines I would use in those scenarios, if it wasn't working, would be, Coach, I know that you want to share with us your, your feelings. I get it, and I'll listen to you. You know that. Your kids need you. Hmm. Your kids need you. Great line. This. Let's go the next four minutes. You pay attention to your kids. I'll pay attention to the referees, and we'll both be good, all right? Yep, J.D., good point, good point. And, again, nine out of ten times when you say your kids need you, the bells go off in a coach's head. You're not saying they're bad. You're not saying they're horrible. You're just saying to them the reality, your kids need you. And you're also saying, I don't. <laughs> they do. I don't. But you don't say that. You're, you're trying to defer them back to what they should be doing um, primarily. We only have two minutes, so we'll crunch it in. Oh, Let's... I told them 10. Oh, 10? I don't, that's what he asked. I said, I don't care. Let's start with that last play you had on the block shot. I stole it from him. Well, yeah. which one? You right were lead? You were lead? Yeah. Yep. Was it a clean block? I, I had a foul. You had a foul? Where was the yep. legal contact? I, are you talking about the one before that? No, we both. Your most recent one. We both. You double whistled. Oh, yeah, I stole yeah. it from you. I had contact to the head. Okay. Did you report contact to the head? I did. Good. I know you did that earlier in the game. You had two hits to the head in the uh -huh. first half. So hits to the head are good good fouls to show the uh, you know the foul type on the spot of the foul which you did i love that use your voice nobody's going to really say anything to you if you have a hit to the head foul you know white 22 hits him in the head two shots when you report the signal don't punch yourself in the head though. <laughs> be nice yeah yeah a little tap a little tap um i got a lot of stuff for you guys but let's start with luke uniform number one right I wore sneakers just like that, that are black with the white bottoms. White. I've had a, I thought you had a pee whistle for a second. We need, can we get you something that um, closes that, that lanyard? Yeah, yeah, just so it's not swinging. Um, with your hand count, a couple times on, um, on a throw-in, you weren't, you weren't showing the hand count. You weren't counting out of bounds. So just be like mechanically thorough. And when you do count, you're very handsy. You're just, you're kind of just counting with the hand. I want to see more, um, more extension with the arm, all right? Um, you had a backcourt play. That was a really good call, but you were you were a little too far away from the play. I thought you were too far behind that last player. So let's try to be in line with the last player or one step behind like that ball line. Um, we have a violation. What's the first thing we do? Uh, stop the what, what did you do? You remember? I just went like this right away. You, you waved it off. I think you waved it off and then so we don't have to wave off really any violations it's just stop the clock whatever the violation is and then point right so just being in a better position to, to, to see that violation right I'm, I'm in a better position here to see the backcourt versus right back here 
So just kind of hustling to get in a little bit better position. And when you're pointing, just tuck the fingers. So a couple times on a, you're indicating the spot, you got the fingers out. Remember, just one, okay. one finger. Okay. All right. Um, Travis, same th we talked about not waving off signals or not waving off travels. I think you, Travis, right? Yeah. Travis, yep. you waved off a travel over here. You just, so just stop the clock, travel, point. Very simple. I, I love keeping things simple, so the less we can do, for me, less is more. Um, we talked about the hit to the head, showing it on the spot. Um, you had an N1. I thought you need, needed to show a little bit more composure yep. on your N1 single. I thought it was we a little, little erratic. What did you guys talk yeah. about? Just like slow down, make sure everyone knows what's going on type thing. So keeping it a little bit more yep, subtle. Together, subtle. Yeah. All right. We'll get some more after uh, after the game, right? Okay. Have a great second half. All right. The best time to approach a coach is after a timeout. If the coach has been shouting across the court a couple times, refereeing from the bench multiple times, and a pattern has developed, get to them at the next timeout. Wait for the timeout to be finished. Don't go in before the timeout when they're hot. Go in after the timeout when they've decompressed, when they've spoken to their team for 60 seconds, then you deliver your message. Coach, I'm very approachable if you have a question. Please don't shout out the crew from across the court. We need you to be more professional on that. Is that fair? And I'm staring them in the face the whole time. You're establishing those professional guidelines. If you don't, they're going to do whatever they want to do. What are some tactics that you use to defuse loud coaches? Yeah, two things come to, to mind right away. Love the question. Uh, one is tone. Uh, I, you probably talked about this with your group many times, but when somebody is irate by you bringing your voice here, it gives them permission to come here, but it also draws an awareness to the fact that they're being incredibly loud. I never try to tell them how to behave because we don't like to be told what to do as humans. So I never say, you don't need to yell at me, you know, stop yelling at me. I've done it in the past. But in my toolbox now as a more mature version of Adam, as a more equipped speaker, et cetera, my objective now is I always say, you know, if a coach is way there, my, my tone is going to naturally come here. I'm going to say, what, what play, coach? What play? And he's still yelling. He's still yelling. Coach, I'm here. I hear you. I hear you. What play are you talking about? The play down there? And it almost inevitably, that helps it come down. Now, sometimes strength needs to be met with strength. Technical fouls are a part of the game, et cetera. Uh, so if the tone piece doesn't work, uh, the other thing that I found to be beneficial before having to go to technical foul. Dominic, I thought you had great hustle. I really appreciated how you're in position. You're in a dependable position throughout the entire first half whether it's on a fast break, whether it's on a quick steal in transition, whether you're stepping down on a jump shot, you were on point. Every time I looked, you were in the right spot, so nice work there. Tuck your fingers on your hand count. So you're doing your hand count, you got like ET fingers a little bit. All right, so fingers are closed, snap it out there. Yep. Excellent patience and decision on a, on a foul you had from the center down here. I just thought you gave your partners an opportunity to call it and then you had good cadence to your whistle. At the table, I, I would just want to work with you tonight on signal school with your hit signal and the way your numbers are okay. presenting out. I think you started like a little low. You started bringing your fists to the table low. I don't know, I just recognize that. Just keep it up a little bit higher, pop it out. Crown Refs is the community for dedicated basketball officials. Join our amazing team today.
Simply go to patreon.com backslash crownrefs and choose the tier that works best for you. We'll email you when you join and share the link to join our Discord. We hope to meet you soon. Serve the game. My guys are getting crushed, destroyed, killed. Inappropriate language. My coach, if we're going to have effective dialogue, we need to use realistic terms. Saying your players are getting killed is not a fair way to communicate. How many times have you, have you had a conversation with the coach when they said, my guy's getting pummeled, and you didn't address the fact that they said pummeled? How are you going to have a conversation when he's using that kind of language? you got to check him. you got to play offense. Coach, we're very approachable. We have to use realistic, respectful terms. We'll bring them back into the framework of where we need to be. We can't have a conversation out here talking about people who are getting killed. What do you, what do you mean? People think communication only comes from here. From your mouth and our body language shares with people more importantly than what we say and and i can't get you to do this on well i could this would be kind of fun can can those of you on the screen that i'm seeing make a three-point signal like this everybody come on i want to see them all right now put it on your chin go ahead and put it on your chin all right stop and freeze this is your chin all right why did you do that now, you know, you're embarrassed, whatever. Don't be embarrassed. I've spoken to groups of 1,000 people and 999 of them have it right here because you pay more attention to what I do than what I say. So my body language is extremely high in the equation. We just proved it, right? We just proved it. And if if officials would study, and there's there's 1,000 books out there on body language. Uh, verbal judo is one that I that rings in my head. It has a lot of uh, resonance with me. Um, but if they would study body language, it's not only going to help them with what they present, but it's going to help them read the audience. And the audience is that coach over there that's losing his mind. And you think it's about the play you just had, and it's six plays back. And if you can read the body language, you can then get past all the screaming and yelling and get to the heart of the matter. As far as like the responses for coaches, I like to lead with, I'm approachable if you have a question, but, and the but is filling in the blanks of anything that they might've done prior, shouting across the court. I'm very approachable if you have a question, we're not gonna tolerate you shouting across the court. Do you have a specific question? And getting to the specifics is something that they can't answer because most of the time they speak in generalities, right? Or they want to talk about three plays at a time. No, 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 coach, you have a specific play? Most of them don't. So that's another advantage for us when we're speaking to coaches is getting to the specifics. To take it a step further, don't even dislike it. Don't let it annoy you. Yeah. Player warning, you gave a player warning to the bench. What did he say? Well, he was he was one that was kind of earlier about just like his illegal screen I had on him earlier. And then he didn't like our no call or him going out of bounds where there's uh, hands came across and then I checked him and he was fine and then this is also the kid who dropped the ball at my feet a possession before and I said hey five hand me the ball and he just kind of ignores me I said hey five hand me the ball please and he's like whoa back up bro I'm like this is how it's going to be did he do he, it did you think he did it like disrespectfully uh, and or he knew what he was exactly what he, he, he knew doing? what he's doing he knew what he's doing and I'm like and that's one of those peppies I don't like you know what I mean I don't have any peppies yeah, yeah, yeah. correct it's one of the things I dislike yeah, I mean, okay. so it's like, I might just hand me the ball and then. But to take it a step further, don't even dislike it. Yeah. 
it's, it's annoying. It Don't let it annoy you. Yeah. Just, okay. just execute your, yeah. your duties yeah. right yeah, there. Exactly. Do me a favor, pick up the ball. Yeah. Hey, I would never give you a pass like that. Can you, can you pick yeah, up the ball exactly. for me? And then, uh, and then down here, he kept on saying, "Good defense, good defense." And we had a foul. He had a foul. I had a foul. And I'm like, coach. He said it twice. It, you addressed he it. He said first. it after you called the foul? Yeah, after one of us did twice. And I said, if you don't take care of it, I'm going to take care of it. As I was walking away, he's like, good defense, guys. And I'm like, nope. Okay. And I should have probably given him the T instead of the warning, but I was being generous, I guess. So there was a little history with this player. Understood. Oh, so in the last, like, three minutes, sure. he have had a nice little escalation of events. Now, if he says good defense during a live ball, there's nothing we're going to do about that. However, it sounded like he was indirectly talking to you, saying Correct. that shouldn't have been a foul, that was good defense. Correct. That shouldn't have been a foul, that was good defense, Correct. and he kept repeating it. Correct. Yeah, he so, wanted to be heard. And then yeah. I, And you've already spoke to him, so I, I like the decision. Yeah. It's nice bringing in the history, right, of, of, the, of the game so far and why you make that decision. Because the worst part was, these two guys didn't even know, because it was all me interacting with the kid, and I kind of felt bad, and then we, that was our first dead ball to talk, and they're like, what happened? I said, well, here's what happened. And they so sorry. How does your partner not see that? I know a lot of times you hear them talking about your partner. This is where we got to be great partners. This is where we got to have each other's back. Coach, I don't want my partner explaining my call, so I'm not going to explain his. That's something I've used for a long time. It's very effective. Um, it's honest. Coach, I had the exact same thing, and I trust my teammate. That's really my two ways I go when they ask a pretty simple question about my partner's call, maybe in a respectful way. This is the approach I go. They get a little bit more on sporting. you got to help him out. He's struggling. Coach, with all due respect, I would never speak negatively about one of your assistants. Please have the same respect for our crew. But what we just did was we provided them a little bit of empathy. Would you ever speak negatively about one of the coach's assistants? You absolutely wouldn't. So you're giving him your... Um, giving him that perspective in that moment so he can see what he's doing. And normally, 98% of the time, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. They apologize to you. I want to give you guys tools so the coaches say sorry to you. I think that would be pretty effective. Um, and they say sorry for this line. So next time they throw your partner under the bus, start with, Coach, I would never, I would never speak negatively about one of your assistants. Please have the same respect for my crew. You're right, Paul. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'll move on. That, that's what they say. The sales, marketing, and branding position at our corporation at the time, that's all I did was communicate. But I had been influenced by Jim Bain's focus points. And I took them into the Horizon League, too. So following year, I flipped the switch. I, I was Mr. Communication. I, I still whack coaches. I think officials think you're either a hard nose or you're soft. And the reality is the good officials know when to go up and they know when to go down. They know when to go up. They know when to go down. That's both in how you deal with coaches with technical fouls, as well as how you communicate with them. You got to, you know, you got to have the ability to show that, no, I am, I am hot on this subject matter. So long story short, I put the communications to a high priority in the Horizon League, get through that year. Great. John calls me and says, hey, let's meet in Anderson. I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. And he said, uh, I've got 46 guys on staff. You were rated number two. I need more Saturdays. I need more wins or Thursday. I need more of you. How can I get it? I tell that story to say we all have the ability to make changes. And I think it's also a reflection of my absorption rate is pretty high. You don't have to tell me twice. And it was, and that's when I started reading books on body language, when I started focusing on how to communicate, 
It's when I learned to raise it when I needed to, get my technical foul, next media timeout. When we're done, I had switched up and I'm standing in front of their huddle. Coach, we all right? That was a, that was a BS technical foul. Maybe so, coach, but you can't do that on my floor. It's not personal. Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay, blah, blah, blah. And then by the time I'm done at the end of that timeout, I got him laughing about something, and we move on with the game. Um, I call that kitsy love. Mike, Mike Kitts crafted that move. Something goes wrong in the game, and that coach is really upset. At the next media timeout, lo and behold, he's the guy standing in front of that huddle and just giving him kitsy love saying, hey, are we good? No, we're not good. That was a coach. We're going to work really hard for you and indicating all the positive things that are going to happen the rest of the game. And you get them back on your side. The trust goes back up and you move forward. Now, you and I both know that some days you can't you can't get them back. And sometimes that ends with, you know, see you later. But nine times out of 10, you can get them back on your side simply by addressing them. man to man is it the is it the are we okay line saying that multiple times really hammering that home which makes that encounter successful because i feel like a lot of times i might get myself in trouble going up to a coach after a tech so is it just about using the right verbiage there i think it's verbiage and i think it's also timing now if i whack somebody at, at, at i whack them now we're to and we go to the media and I'm there right after the media is over. No, that's not the right time. I'm going to space that and give it another four minutes and work really hard during that four minutes. I think you have to look at the timing. I think you have to look at your role on the floor too. When I when someone put the the letter R beside my my name, what that told me was they trust me. They want to make sure nothing is going to happen wrong in that game. Nothing. Your partner's in the tank. Both your partners are in the tank. It doesn't matter. The game still has to be refereed. I took ownership of the game when there was an R beside my name. Now, you would also know that if I was a U1 or U2 when I was working in other leagues, I still did the same thing. But I took the R responsibility extremely seriously because that coordinator is going to get 12 phone calls the next morning. One of them shouldn't have my name on it. One of them shouldn't have my game in it. And so <clears throat> I think I think timing and timing, what you say and what your body is saying. If we just whack somebody four minutes have passed, I'm in front of them and I walk over and go, you all right? <laughs> Not going to work because I've got a closed position. But I go to them and I go, coach, we good? Everything good here? No, JD, I'm upset that you're part of it. Coach, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm asking, are, are, are you calmed down now? Are we okay? You know, trying to defer it to, let's be, let's get it general here. We're not talking about me. We're not talking about him. We're talking about, I need you in this game. And one of the lines I would use in those scenarios, if it wasn't working, would be, Coach, I know that you want to share with us your, your feelings. I get it. And I'll listen to you. You know that. Your kids need you. Hmm. Your kids need you. Great line. This. Let's go the next four minutes. You pay attention to your kids. I'll pay attention to the referees, and we'll both be good, all right? Yep, J.D., good point, good point. And, again, nine out of ten times when you say your kids need you, the bells go off in a coach's head. 
You're not saying they're bad. You're not saying they're horrible. You're just saying to them the reality, your kids need you. And you're also saying, I don't. <laughs> they do. I don't. This episode of the Crown Reps podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. The same play happened and you called a foul. Coach, plays can be similar, but they're never the same. It's a different play. Coach, if the same exact play happens, we'll have the same exact result. But in my opinion, we're discussing two different plays. Speaking of the official shortage, I mean, the fact that your varsity ref doing the JV game, too, because they couldn't fill a spot, you know? It's, it's evident all around the country, even on our board, too. Um, so as far as the pregame, like, I never speak about the teams that are playing as far as their personality, their records, their players, the their coaches. It's a very simple approach. It's team A and team B. Regardless if these they had prior matchups that were competitive, mm -hmm. relevant. Mm -hmm. I'm finding all this stuff irrelevant. So the only thing we need to talk about is our procedures and protocols and our what-if scenarios if, you know, how we're going to handle stuff that happens. So we'll start with sportsmanship. Teach me some breathing exercises. If you take air in for three seconds, then hold it for three seconds, let it out for three seconds, Hold it empty for three seconds, rinse and repeat. And you go through that two or three times and all of a sudden you're more relaxed. At timeouts, if you breathe from your gut instead of your chest, it releases a different endorphin in your body and literally continues to bring down and calm you. And nobody ever knew when I was out there that, you know, there was stuff going around in my head, but I had mechanisms to help my body deal with the stress that was involved. So we'll go one ref at a time. First of all, nice job. There's a couple plays that I think would be good discussion points. Munera, right? Okay, so first play you had over there, you called a foul. Offensive player got the ball and dribbled right by the defender, and then you, you called the foul because he hit his hand. Do you remember that play? Yes. Do you think we could have been more patient and slow down your whistle and not call anything and just let the player go to the basket? Or did you think you needed to stop that play? Remember the, the one we talked about over here? Yeah, 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 yeah. So just be more patient and slow down and see what the contact does. Just give it a second to, remember, remember today we talked about start, develop, finish, then decide. I got a lot of stuff for you guys, but let's start with Luke. Uniform, number one, right? I wore sneakers just like that, that are black with the white bottoms. White. I've had a, I thought you had a pee whistle for a second. We need, can we get you something that um, closes I got that, that lanyard? Yeah, yeah, just so it's not swinging. With your hand count, a couple times on, um, on a throw in, you weren't, you weren't showing the hand count. You weren't counting out of bounds. So just be like mechanically thorough. And when you do count, you're very handsy. You're just, you're kind of just counting with the hand. I want to see more extension with the arm, all right? You had a backcourt play, that was a really good call, but you were, you were a little too far away from the play. I thought you were too far behind that last player. So let's try to be in line with the last player or one step behind like that ball line. We have a violation, what's the first thing we do? Uh, stop the what, what did you do, you remember? I just went like this right away. You, you waved it off. Oh. 
think you waved it off and then so we don't have to wave off really any violations it's just stop the clock whatever the violation is and then point right so just being in a better position to to, to see that violation right I'm, I'm in a better position here to see the backcourt versus right back here so just kind of hustling to get in a little bit better position and when you're pointing just tuck the fingers so a couple times on a you're indicating the spot you got the fingers out remember just one okay. one finger okay. all right all right we'll get the captains coaches listen up, in on our captains and coaches pre-game conference all right guys we'll keep it real simple and short for you guys all right sportsmanship is the number one point of emphasis so there's no taunting trash talking or baiting white talks the white red talks the red remember if we talk to you we're just trying to help you besides that respect each other respect us respect the game Coaches, we're very approachable if you have a question, but we expect one voice from the bench and professional communication out of you guys, all right? Have a great game. He had a foul, offensive okay. foul, when it was coming yeah. right to you. Okay. Not only do I, I think you had the, uh, you had a no call, right? You yeah, were, had a no call. Right, not only do I, I think it was a no call, yeah. but I think he's way too far up out of position to make that call, too. Plus, there's one minute left in the game, and that team's down 30. So I don't really care that much about time and score, yeah. but with one minute left, they're down 30. If it's something we can pass on, we don't need to come need to. way out of primary to mm -hmm. get that. That's okay. not the time to come out of primary. And one player was wearing a watch on orange. Did anybody yeah. catch that? Did you guys see he was wearing a watch? No, to be honest. I can't blame him. He likes to track his steps. Yeah. I used to wear a watch when I ref Plus, too. But. People think communication only comes from here, from your mouth. And our body language shares with people more importantly than what we say. And, and I can't get you to do this on, well, I could, this would be kind of fun. Can, can those of you on the screen that I'm seeing make a three point signal like this? Everybody, come on, I wanna see them. All right, now put it on your chin. Go ahead and put it on your chin. All right, stop and freeze. This is your chin. All right, why did you do that? Now, you know, you're embarrassed, whatever. Don't be embarrassed. I've spoken to groups of 1,000 people and 999 of them have it right here because you pay more attention to what I do than what I say. So my body language is extremely high in the equation. We just proved it, right? We just proved it. And if if officials would study, and there's, there's a 1,000 books out there on body language. Uh, verbal judo is one that I that rings in my head. It has a lot of uh, resonance with me. Um, but if they would study body language, it's not only going to help them with what they present, but it's going to help them read the audience. And the audience is that coach over there that's losing his mind. And you think it's about the play you just had, and it's six plays back. And if you can read the body language, you can then get past all the screaming and yelling and get to the heart of the matters. Coach, it would be a great idea to stop thinking about the officiating and get back to your role leading your players. How can we get you to refocus on that? That's what I've been doing this year, getting them back to their role. Their role is to be a positive leader for their players and to coach their team. They forget their role a lot, but let's remind them in a respectful way. It's all about how you say it, when you say it, the context of the game, the history, what you've already said to him. But uh, some of these, we have to deliver these in a, in a professional way. It takes practice. Right? But I'm telling you, I would never share anything that's, that's not effective or is going to get you guys in trouble. So it's all about just going out there, practicing it. It's not all going to work perfectly, but all the tools are here.
post pause process or post and hold, especially if it's a double whistle from the outside. More specifically for like the, well, it's for both officials to post and hold immediately if you recognize the double whistle, then the um, primary official will take it. It's, it's really designed for that trail or the secondary official just post and hold and wait. And then if the lead doesn't have anything, then the trail takes it. But yeah, that's a good, good point. Double whistles, post and hold. We don't want to um, have conflicting calls. You had a play down there, off ball. It was two players in the post and they were grabbing and just doing a little holding. There was no illegal contact. It was incidental contact, but I want you to use your voice there. Let go, easy, don't hold, don't grab. I use my voice on plays in the post a lot, on free throw rebounding situations, regular rebounding situations. I think those are just good play types to um, use your voice if you see them bumping or grabbing or tugging. It doesn't rise to the level of illegal contact, but it's something that hits our radar, and we want to inject our voice in there to maybe avoid that contact if possible. We spoke about the three-point signal at halftime and then the next time out you just did that. So this just takes getting into the mirror and just practicing and building that muscle memory to where it's automatic. Um, we're gonna do a signal school session later. You guys sticking around? Oh, yeah, okay here, great. Yeah. So we're gonna run through every NFHS signal. I'm gonna be able to see you guys present every single one of them so I'll be able to really you know deep dive and give you guys a lot of instruction there. I didn't have a great interaction with them. I wasn't at my best in that interaction, but I did notice, see, coaches are slick. They like to pin partners against each other, in which I thought he was doing with you. I mean, I'm not gonna judge with the conversation. It looked like he was pointing to me while talking to you. Tell us what he said, Walt. He said, uh, what's, up, what's, up, what's up with your partner saying that uh, um, I'm de being disrespectful? Never said that word, but keep going. Yeah, he said disrespectful, and he said, uh, um, just because I say two, Two hands on the man doesn't mean I'm being disrespectful. What's that, what's that all about? Coach was refereeing a little bit from the sidelines. Hand check, hand check, hand check. He said it about five times. So I said, Coach, you have to stop refereeing from the sideline. You got to pick because he's a he's a ref too. Right. So which hat you wearing? You got to coach or ref? He goes, you kidding me? Are you you giving me an attitude? So um, the next time he does it, it's just going to be a bench warning. Coach has been warned. This bench has been That's warned. Unsportsmanlike, right here. Please write that down. Coach has been warned. Where we left off in the first half. Yeah. You were saying something to the players. You said, be set, Red. Now, I know it's a good thing to give players information that helps them out because it helps the game. Yeah. But at some point, it becomes almost like coaching advice, right? Yeah. So just take me through what you told the player. What was he doing? Why would you say it? Yeah. I, I don't remember the certain situation, but throughout the game, usually, I don't know whether I'm supposed to or not, I've been told to just to talk to him, at least at the beginning. So like, hey, he's cutting, get your hands off right away. So hands off is, is a good thing to say. We don't have to stop the game and you don't have to get a foul and it really isn't affecting the game at all. That kind of stuff. Just so remember from, close, sorry. Thing. No, you're good, I'm pretty much yeah. No, from an officiating standpoint, there is no set. Yeah, exactly. So basically you're saying, I'm be saying legal, yeah. don't commit a foul, yeah. right? And that's more of the coaching yeah. advice, right? So I wouldn't, mention anything along those those terms hands off is great yep. let go enough easy yep. but besides that we don't want to be and then you were doing the same thing over there you were you were giving him you were demonstrating like a legal guarding position right yep. again giving them little things to help them is great but at some point as you go up in level you're going to do that way less yep. so that's something you probably did a lot in like 
fifth grade, sixth grade, yeah. middle school because we have to be a coach a little bit yeah. there. Even, Once even we, if he asks what he was doing wrong? You can tell him. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Give him your explanation, what he did wrong, why there was illegal contact. Yep. Keep it short, keep it rule-based, but keep it informative. Yep. You know? Did you follow the shooter up and down? Yes, sir, land? Yes, good. Sir. good no call. I, yeah. good. I didn't see anything. Yeah, that was a good no call. Let's just make sure we keep our eyes on it and make sure he lands. Remember, think of the three F's on jump shots. Feet, foul, floor. Feet is did he travel? Legal, two-pointer, three-pointer. Up in the air, foul, did he get hit? Floor, did we allow him the space to land? So just a little hack to think about those type of plays. Coach, your kids need you. Yeah, that's a great tactic. You know, I had a breakthrough with that this year um, with our rapid response series. We have 13 episodes of that, but one one um, kind of strategy I started implementing this year with the community is getting them back to their role in the game. Having the courage to say a line, just like what you did, your kids need you. That is a guaranteed win. That is gonna work 99% of the time because you're giving them a sense of awareness because they obviously lost it in that moment. And it's just great, truthful advice. It really is. And the other thing I said in there that, that I think um, coaches need to hear, and, I, and you probably didn't even hear the word. The word was, coach, this isn't personal. I'm glad you said that. I'm gonna add the personal line because I've been promoting the opposite end of that spectrum. We need you to be more professional. But I think to even couple them both in there in that line, that's double meaning, that's double the impact. I think that would be highly effective. Agreed. I thought you had great court coverage and lead, showing a lot of hustle from trail to lead. So that was a great job. Same thing I was telling Brett, don't duck. If you ever have to duck, that means you have, you have to move. And there's really no time we need to get this low, right? We can have that angle from a standing position. You're saying too, when we have a foul, you're saying under, under just be more precise end line or under the basket but just be more precise side out end line that's really the other the only options that i'm doing or yep. spot yep okay your foul show me how you call a foul okay a couple times you were doing it with the, with the fingers out like the old wrestling bushwhackers if i was i don't like that yeah so just turn turn the fist a little bit all right um brett so when we stop the clock, I'm dating back to early in the first half. So when we stop the, when we call a foul, don't immediately point to the fouler. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta break that habit. It's all right. We've all done it. We've all done. It. You want to let everybody know. You want to narrate and communicate exactly who the foul was on. But we just take a deep breath, slow down, be more patient. Foul, and then just go report the foul and let everybody know who was who it was on. Especially on obvious fouls. You know, I thought it was a good, obvious hit. Guy lost the ball, and you were just like pointing. So it's just. A little too much. And just as Rory was mentioning earlier on how he does a lot of self-talk in his head, positive self-talk is such a, a, a big thing that's going to contribute to your mindset and making you be a forward thinker and not just looking back and dwelling on our mistakes. I know what we were saying at halftime, but just even framing your mistakes in a more positive way and just trying to discard them and flush them because it's totally irrelevant to what's about to happen incorrect calls we're going to make them throughout the game we can't be thinking about them and if we do it's just got to be from a constructive you know positive mindset so hopefully i'll leave you with that because we officiating there's so many mistakes we're all going to continue to make mistakes the rest of our lives with officiating they'll never be like a perfect game called so it's how you deal with those mistakes and how quickly you can recover both mentally and emotionally
we're gonna let that second one just call itself. So when we're 20 feet away, then everybody's gonna hear what the second one is. Okay. In addition to that, I, I didn't realize that you had given them a second technical. Yeah. So, I mean, well, this is where being the benches being where they were yeah, to make anything yeah. fun for us. But, yeah. Okay. What else from that last sequence? Anything you want to discuss? In those situations, it's not a horrible thing to get together either, right? That gets you away from that coach. You will get calibrated on. We need to adjudicate this in the order of occurrence. Yep. We need to make sure that we're shooting those bonus, bonus. free throws first. Yep. Then we're going to shoot the technical foul free throws. Yep. Then where's the ball going to be put in? Whose ball is it going to be? That's something that we should all get on the same page with. And that, that's information that you have. All right, guys, come on in here. I just had a common foul. It's going to be a single bonus or double bonus, whatever the situation was. We're going to shoot those free throws first. Then we're going to shoot the technical foul free throws. It's going to be their ball at half court. Everybody good? There's like two seconds left on the clock. Nobody's got timeouts left. Here we go. Okay. Just quit. 30 seconds or less, right? That gets you all on the same page. So that way you're not thinking like, okay, was there one technical or was there two? Um, are we shooting two free throws? Is it four? Is it quite an interruption? Is it half court? That way we're all on the same page. And I didn't know that you called a technical, so maybe make the whistle a little bit louder and make your signal a little more visible. I don't know. Was it is trying not to make a It is weird when you're on the baseline, too, right? If you're at the table, almost everybody's looking at that table. That's when you're down on the baseline handing out a technical foul to a coach, that, that's a weird spot. It's not a common spot we see in the regular season. Been. Just overall, don't let an ugly or an intense play speed up your decision making. If it's an ugly play, it doesn't mean you have to have a whistle on it. If it's a super intense play, it doesn't mean it should speed us up, right? So I thought there was a loose ball play. Guys are like jumping on each other. No illegal contact, but it was a very active play. Do you guys remember that right around here? And you had a held ball. You had a held ball as the ball is out. I know. I, right, I didn't think that was It's one of those as soon as I blew the whistle, I can't unblow it. So that was a play type where I thought it was very intense. And I thought you sped up your decision making and should have just yeah. been patient and let the play go on. I knew that conversation was the same thing we did on the double technical. We sped everything up yeah. instead of slowing ourselves down by talking and taking those breaths that Mike yeah. talks about. So. Yeah. Good job, man. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Good job. Thanks for coming. Yes, sir. Just overall, your signals just want to see a little bit more pop and snap. So when you're pointing, should be the shoulder level. Yours is a little diagonally upward. Timeout signal. You grant the timeout. Point to the toe. I think you're, you're like. It's almost like a sideways point. So yeah, this is the only time I usually do two signals at a time. Is boop. Timeout. Wait. N1 mechanics. Yep. Let's see your N1. How you score the goal? N1. Did I have one that game? Yeah. Uh, I I would stop the clock. This, this. Well, that would be an hand. That's an offensive. Oh, oh, we're going hand one. So that, and then I, I would count it with this hand. All right, so that's what I would. So count it with the same drop hand. hand. Oh, that, it doesn't actually matter, but just drop, drop the hand before drop you score. That hand and then use this hand or use the same hand. It doesn't matter which hand you use. Just, just do one at guy. a time. Just do one at a time. Foul. And then, so what you did was foul, foul. score it, and then you went back up with the foul. I see. And then okay. you showed the hit on the spot. So for obvious fouls, we don't necessarily, I know this is the approved mechanic on the spot. Right. I, I don't think we, it's a little bit too much sometimes. Okay. People want to know about the NCAA tournament and how did you choose guys and how did you advance guys? And <clears throat> at the end of the day, I watched 67 games myself. I had 
four guys, my regional advisors that were doing call action reports. And so I would take the data from the call action reports, match it up with what my eyes and my gut told me. And it would just clearly, you know, um, delineate those who are in the top tier and those who are in the bottom. The problem is, uh, <clears throat> I think when I started, when I got to the final four, I had, I think, 13 guys my first year that I thought qualified and should be there. <clears throat> well, I could only take 10. All right, move on. My last year in 2022, I think I had 21 guys that um, met the standard for working the final four, both eyesight, gut, and what the data backed up. Back to your original question, what can they expect? A ton of content, a ton of interactions, conversations, and discussions with the community, and then a ton of live instruction as well. For people who are unfamiliar with what Ground Refs has to offer, can you actually walk us through some of the key features and tools that are available to everyday people who want to be part of the community? Sure. There's a couple different tiers. You know, we have um, a pro plus mentor and also one-to-one -one tier. So I've expanded a couple different options. Basically, I'll talk about like the mentor tier. So if you sign up at the mentor tier, you get access to three apps that we use, Patreon, Discord, and Zoom. I'm always looking to add new things. That's the other cool thing about what we're doing. It's just continuously evolving. Me with my teacher background, mm -hmm. I'm always thinking curriculum and um, you know content and teaching and, and stuff like that. So you get access to the three apps. Patreon recently is, is making a lot of great updates that I'm loving. Recently they updated uh, they allow you to view content in a new tab called the collections tab. One thing I've been doing as a content creator, you know, I think I'm like Netflix, right? I've always thought that's why I was telling officials when I was building Patreon, it was like our reflex because in the sense I have, we have over 20 different shows and series that have re reoccurring episodes. Yeah. So um, a recent update with Patreon allows me to really group everything together. So it's much more accessible, but a, an official can find our full library of long form content on Patreon it has all the episodes of our podcast. It has all of our mic'd up content, but in long form, not the little short clips you might see as far as discord. That's our community app. So that brings all, you know, 200, plus people together. It allows you to ask any question anytime you want, 24-7, but you're asking it to the Crown Refs community of people that have been vetted one by one by one by one, right? So it's not just random people that, that you don't know. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so big that I introduce everybody and make everybody feel welcome and just connect the dots, connect the dots, constantly connecting the dots. Um, Discord has 36 channels. We try to cover multiple aspects of officiating from partnering mindset communication game management we have channels devoted to fitness nutrition um financial channel um scheduling channel there's about uh, there's a women's only channel which i'm really proud of you know discord allows us to lock the permission so mm -hmm. only the 30 plus female that females that are in our group have that access to their women's locker room which essentially is what it is and discord has voice channels yeah. as well so we meet for voice calls and we have video capabilities there so i think discord is a great app for us to execute what we're trying to do and then of course zoom for our video sessions we do at least one call a week 
that could be a voice call, that could be a video call, that could be a FaceTime. Um, but once a week, pretty much for the last two years, I've met with the community and made myself available. And that's where I have different sessions from signal school to rapid responses to film breakdowns to our special guest speakers um, that come in and, and teach the group. But everybody who joins, I feel like is becomes family for life. So I want to help them out for the rest of their career. I want them to text me when they have a question or they have an issue. I want to talk to them in five years when they've ascended to work the NCAA tournament and talk about, you know, the time we first connected. So back to your original question, what can they expect? A ton of content, a ton of interactions and conversations and discussions with the community, and then a ton of live instruction as well. Who had the last shot? Did we, did we call out who had last shot? Yeah. Great. How, what, how do you communicate that? Well, first I let everyone know it was a minute. But then I never did do this because then we were coming back down the court. I was looking for an opportunity to do that. It didn't exist, but I did have the whistle. But I know You were looking for an opportunity to do this? Well, they're seeing me. Okay. Well, I saw you. I would do this. To me, that's what that means. To okay. me, that means last shot. Usually, I followed up with that, but then they're coming down the court rather quickly, so. Yeah, uh, yeah I like the patting of the chest. Um, you had a block. Okay, you had two back-to-back -back whistles. You had a block call? Yep. Right at the top of the, or side out. Why did you have a block? What did the defender do wrong? Defender, in my opinion, did not have legal guarding position in the ball handler was trying to get the bat. He was sliding with him, never got in front of him. The ball handler had his torso in front of Remember, him. Remember, you don't have to be in front. Correct. You have to just be facing. You I have didn't to have two there, feet facing the, okay. the opponent. Did you guys have any opinion on that play? Whether I didn't know. <laughs> From what I, I didn't have a great look, I might have been stacked. It seemed like it might have been a player control. It seemed like the defender was legal. It was just sliding and took it in the chest. Okay. Remember, if you establish legal garden position, you could slide Correct. to the right, to the left, obliquely. You had a yeah. player control foul down here. You were very late with your whistle timing and your signal. You kept us kind of hanging for a second. I don't know if you were still deciding or you were unsure. I felt like it was a similar play down yeah. here uh, in the first half, and I wanted to see the whole play develop uh, and make sure that we had a legal contact. And basically what I had was uh, the red defender slid under late. So he moved laterally on an airborne shooter? That's Correct. what you had? Correct. The, he was already in his upward motion. He gathered and was going towards the basket. Is it upward motion or is it airborne shooter? If he's not airborne, you could still move laterally. Once he goes airborne, now we can't move laterally. We can't move forward. We can only move backwards or straight up. Uh, in my opinion, I thought it was a player control foul. But I just, if you're going to call a block, boo, block, and then just score it right away. A little bit more, um, just speed the timing up a little bit. Too slow? Because right. it's going to show more conviction and leave less doubt. My, my worry is that he's thinking that it's supposed to be mine, and that's a cane whistle. You know what I'm like? That's supposed to be mine. I, hope, I, I don't think it is. I hope yeah. not. No, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe he's a little late. Maybe that's why. I don't, you know, I don't know. Just a couple of times where you're block, charge, player, control, signal, you're stopping the clock, and then I want to see the signal come right after that. So the, I'm noticing a gap from stopping the clock to then your decision. But just as far as recruitment, mm -hmm. I wanted to share this with you because I want to put this out here. I think I have the maybe the number one recruiting tool, or at least right now. We recently mm -hmm. ran a Facebook ad, and I shot a 30-second video at Roger Ayers Camp a year and a half ago. 
It was a strategic video. I knew I wanted to create a recruitment video that featured multiple refs in a chanty, slogany type of video. And the slogan was, are you ready to ref? Are you ready to ref? Are you ready to ref? Let's go. I'm sure you've probably seen it. So that was the tool that we mm -hmm. used. We ran this ad. It was a very successful ad. I'm pulling up the stats right now. You know, I don't just talk about it that I want to help new officials, bring them in. You know, I put my money up and I don't even talk about money, but we, I spent $542 to run this ad, to run this video. Now we mm -hmm. targeted, we were able to target, we put a bunch of keywords, college student, athlete, player, coach, because really it's open to anyone who's looking for a job. So the demographics is huge. This ad, we got 63,000 impressions. We reached 39,000 people. So I ran it for 20 days. I spent $25 a day. It accumulated to $542. But here's the metric, which is fascinating to me. We got 6,181 link clicks. Now, the link I was driving people towards was highschoolofficials.com. That's the NFHS site that allows you to go and fill out an application. From there, you get dispersed to okay. your state. That's where we lose the data. So if I had more data, like what was the conversion, and that's the key piece, well, we don't have any data on what who converted. So of those 6,100 people that looked at the page and considered filling out an application to begin their career, we don't know if 10 people did it, I don't know if a hundred people did it. I don't know if a thousand people did it. I guarantee some people did it. Yeah. I think there's a lot here. I've gotten some recent ideas that I want to maybe start a donation campaign to keep the ad going, but we need a better source to drive the traffic to. I need to know who's converting. So sure. I'm in the process of looking at a couple other platforms and approaching them to rerun this ad. Because just think of this, this could be an evergreen mm -hmm. ad that just continues to run if it can get funded. Oh, 6,100 clicks. I 6, thought you said 6,181 clicks of the 39,000 that saw it. Dang. Scott, you had a good call before the shot out here early in the first half. It was a drive to the basket. Guy gets in the arm. Ooh, pointed to the spot. Good, strong signals at the table. I thought you did a nice job there. Actually, there were two in the first half that I, after I called them, I didn't like a whole lot. There's a rebound down there, which, I mean, there was contact. And what I worry about is if you don't whistle someone something in the first step, it gets really physical. Don't worry about that. Okay? We do that way too much. We say, oh, if you let this happen, then all this is going to happen and our game is going to be screwed up. And then we create a scary movie for ourselves. Okay, but the drive here, I think, from, from here to the, to the elbow was the one that uh, yeah. the red kid got hit. And I thought, okay, i got to call that. Okay. Uh, it, it, it didn't knock the ball loose. And the coach might say, well, that was incidental. Coach like, won't say incidental. Yeah, but I'm like, uh, he got hit pretty hard. <laughs> Never heard him say incidental. Um, no, just look clean and look Thank professional. You. Same thing with Nate. Condense your travel signal. It's it's Too very wide. choppy. Too wide. Too big. Small, short, quick. Make it look like like a machine. You had an excellent block call. We got it on footage too. We watched it again. Just take me through what you saw on that play and why you had a block. Yeah. So the play originated in my zone, and we had I in your coverage area. But I know yeah. what you mean. Red had gathered already and started their upward motion, uh, and blue was not set and kind of slid under them. So, okay, so pretty clean, pretty clean black ball. Yeah, I agree. We got to tweak your three-point make. You go, you go here, and then you like do this hesitation. 
with the with the other arm. So just mark it, make. Mark, make. Do you realize that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think Yeah, when you say it it's like it's like I'm watching you go halfway up and I'm waiting for the signal. I'm waiting for, waiting for it. Is it three? Is it two and a half? So, uh, Mechanically, I'm just staying with here, since yep. staying with Nate. Um, a couple of times you stopped the clock like this, like you were a FIBA ref. And I don't even think they do this in FIBA. Did you notice that? I did not. I was not aware of that. Open hand every time. Open hand. Remove any excess fingers, thumbs that are sticking out. Nice, open, flat hand. The biggest thing that I wanted to change was the culture. Uh, I thought there was uh, division amongst officials. I thought there was angst amongst officials. And I thought we needed to build the culture uh, of the brand of official. And not NCAA, not J.D. Collins, but the brand, riding for the brand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that in order to do that, you have to consistently bring a message. And so, as you know, those videotapes would always have uh, the directives to reduce physicality right out of the gate. I'd read every one of them. It was a minute and 17 seconds every time. And all of you went, come on, we've heard this before. But there was a messaging to that. And that was the first step is make sure the messaging was consistent and always coming uh, first. Second step was if you're going to change a culture, then the training has to be consistent it can't be once every five weeks or once every three weeks or two weeks in a row. It has to be every week. And quite frankly, for me to create uh, the in-season videos every week, I'm doing it from hotel rooms, airplanes. Uh, I'm literally recording in my car, uh, plugging my computer in, and I've got the, you know, the, the, the blue ball here that I record with. I'm doing that stuff non-stop over and over and over and what you all never saw was that in addition to 17 or 18 films a year during each week of the season I also put out weekly whistles to the media to inform them why we're doing what we're doing. I thought you did a nice job position adjusting on three-point shots stepping down seeing in between the point of contact finding the open space I saw that multiple times so that was great work you had a held ball play with Jim. You right, were in right. good position here. I thought you were staring right at the play. Jim and lead kind of came up a little bit. Were you passing on that? I was going to pass up because I didn't think they had enough to... I, it was, you, I, 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 I wanted to go ahead. They may not have had possession. So yeah. maybe, maybe I reached. Maybe I reached. Those plays, we got to stay patient. I, we all know a, a maybe potential held ball is coming. But in that case, I don't think it was. Because as you called it, the ball pops out. Right. So just stay patient. I know guys are on the ground. They're tugging. They're pulling. So we have a heightened sense of awareness in those positions. But good no call by you. Let it, let it play out. Recognize the rotation. If you're in the trail and the lead is rotating over, feel that. Be connected with that. So as soon as he moves, you're prompted to then slide down in the center. A couple times you forgot, and it's happened to all of us, where we just we think we're the trail when we're actually supposed to be the center. center right. okay. So you were the center up here a couple times. Okay. So just being tapped into that lead when they rotate, it almost like a third sense, sixth sense, you know, crew awareness. Coach begins to criticize the calls. Now we're going towards a more unsporting responses offense this is my go-to coach i'm very approachable if you have a question but if you can't communicate in a sportsmanlike manner we're not going to be able to have any conversations and then just see what he says after that normally they're going to go back you're right i, I apologize we want to get them back to the line the line is when the game keeps moving 
Coach, with all due respect, I would never tell you which plays to run. Please don't tell me which fouls to call. Would you ever tell a coach which set to run? It's a, an effective response if you say it to them because they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It, it, they're not reasonable in the moment. They're under the influence of emotion. So sometimes we have to inject them with that sensibility. Hey, what's up? My name is Grant Vermeer, a member of the Crown Refs community. A little background about me, I played basketball at the Naval Academy from 2013 to 2017. After that, served my time in the Navy and got to compete with the USA Armed Forces basketball team. I actually got to go compete in the 2019 Military World Games out in Wuhan, China and came back with a silver medal. So basketball's been my life. I love basketball and uh, I knew once I got away from being a player, I needed to stay around the game and for me that was officiating. And so. This has been my first year officiating. I just ref this previous year out in Texas. My first year as a high school official, that's when I found out about the Crown Refs community. And having my military background, I love being a part of teams, right? Like I want to be a, a part of a group that has high standards, that holds each other accountable, but also supports and loves each other and has a desire for everyone in the group to grow. So if you're a young referee or someone who loves refereeing and wants to be a part of a group, this is an amazing community for you. I couldn't more highly recommend the entire thing through this entire camp process during the summer. I made amazing friends, had a bunch of people that otherwise I wouldn't have known because of the Crown Ref community. So I feel like I've gotten better as an official. I've had a community and friends and support through this process, which can otherwise be a little bit lonely as you're on the road a lot. So I highly recommend y'all check out the Crown Ref's community. I'm a big fan, Paul's a great guy. The culture is amazing in here. And so make sure to come check it out. Thank you for listening to the Crown Ref's podcast. Serve the game. Hey, podcast listeners, the Crown Refs Mentor Program and community just recently celebrated our two-year anniversary, and Patreon's been busy making their platform even better, and we're thrilled to share with you these updates. Patreon now has a collections tab, which features quick and easy access to our entire catalog, which includes over 25 of our exclusive shows and series like Signal School, Rapid Responses, Guest Speakers, Crown Classics, Game Notes, Verbal Judo, The Wonderful Women of Officiating, The Sunday Swish, The CR Vlog, and Rule Resources, just to name a few. Not sure which tier is right for you? Our updated Crown Refs page has got you covered with a clear breakdown of each tier's offerings. And there's more. Patreon is now offering free seven-day trials to give you a delicious taste test of what's cooking inside of our Ref Kitchen. You can check out the reimagined Patreon app complete with community chats. Plus, we're introducing a new shop tab where you can grab individual episodes, exclusive instructional how-to videos, PDFs, pregame cards, whether you're a Patreon member or not. If our content has brought you any value in the past, we are kindly asking that you please consider joining the Crown Refs Mentor Program and Community for Officials. As soon as you sign up, I will personally send you a welcome email so then you can get access to our 36 Discord community channels. You can go to patreon.com backslash crown refs or click the link in this episode to come explore the future of Crown Refs on Patreon. I can't wait to work with you and introduce you to our incredible community. You're amazing.